Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. The fifth column. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, comrades and compañeros, welcome to another edition of The Fifth Column. You are hearing the voice of Michael Moyne, and I know how disappointed you are that Camille Foster is not saying your weekly assault on the news cycle and those who make it, and occasionally ourselves, and sitting to my left, he's here, Matt Welch. I have to like, say, like, yeah, no, 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 yeah, that's, that's, no, that's, no. I don't do impressions. Yeah. That's, I, I do a little well, bit. I, sorry, a lot, actually. <laughs> but I just realized saying that, I'm like, I don't listen at the beginning, so you're like, what, what are you? You're like an editor or something of reason? <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> I don't uh, know. That's that's the Anthony shtick. That's not the Matt shtick. Yeah, I'm but there's my shtick because I don't know who who any of you guys that's are. True. Uh, <laughs> editor at large. Editor, editor at large reads a magazine, which means he neither edits nor writes or does. Much and of uh, what I love is that when people, uh, I was just on Bill Schultz's uh, show uh, this morning, yeah. uh, and Joanna Nosachinsky over at Compound Media, mm-hmm. and the people like who. Uh, read your bio by like quickly emergency looking at sort yeah. of like wikipedia or something like that it's like oh yeah and he's and he's co-host of uh of the great podcast we the fifth yeah yeah well <laughs> yeah. I, I will i will just say this we have to introduce because i <laughs> i would introduce anthony fisher of course who is um at insider business insider mm-hmm. something business yeah. outsider whatever it's yeah. called now all of them um and yeah that happens to me all the time i mean it's been like years and i've had things on chirons that were like Daily Beast, uh, like cultural news editor or something. I think your like, Wikipedia page still says Daily it, Beast. It might, it might still say that, which <laughs> shows you how interested people wasn't, are in updating it. Wasn't, didn't Wikipedia at some point confuse you with me? With, no, oh, no, it confused oh. me with a neo-Nazi. Well, that's yeah. confused is yeah, a strong a, word, but uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I thought they, they had, were rounding up. I thought they had you like editing a newspaper in Prague. Oh, yes, they did. Yeah. Um, and that was, and I ended up writing a, a column about it called Don't Trust Wikipedia With Your Life for the Daily Beast. In which I did say that I am not the other Michael Moynihan who does get the parenthetical writer. Uh, mine says, you know, jerk off. Or so I can't remember <laughs> what my parenthetical is. But it says a writer and you click on him and he is from Massachusetts, as am I. He had some connection to, to uh, Scandinavia, as I did. He wrote a book on death metal, uh, which was oh. made into a movie recently, actually, that Vice made. Um, but he ended up becoming a neo-Nazi. And when that uh, piece came out... His uh, wife called me uh, or emailed me and said, you know what? <laughs> this is a long time ago. She said, he's not a neo-Nazi. He's a white nationalist. So please. Yeah. Uh, and that laughter you hear of uh, a distinctly female variety is Miriam Elder, who is a former Moscow correspondent, I think, for The Guardian. And, right. and now at BuzzFeed. And at BuzzFeed, I think, since 2013. That's right. Right? You're just yeah. the queen of BuzzFeed, right? Yeah, I love what it. What is your actual title at BuzzFeed? I don't screw it up. I just don't read it. <laughs> <laughs> Cruel. Uh, <laughs> Now I'm a senior politics editor. I was uh, I was the foreign editor for a bit, the world editor, but I've been yeah. reporting for uh, for the past few months. And uh, Miriam, your 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 background is Russian. Your parents are both Russian, right? Yeah, both my parents are Russian. They fled the Soviet Union. <clears throat> they met here in New York. Uh, I was born here, and then did them the huge disservice of. Uh, Kind of just getting on a plane and moving back to Moscow. And, then, and, and, and in the process, annoying people in the Kremlin, which was the people that they were fleeing from initially, but not the same people. Yeah. Right? D- different people, but similar veins. Were similar they like uh, 80s? Early. They were, they were like the first wave. My mom came here as a Jewish refugee. The refuseniks. In yeah, the, in the, the first, mid-70s. Yeah. And my dad actually has a crazy story of like running away while he was doing his military service on a Navy ship. They docked in Cote d'Ivoire. He ran to the U.S. Embassy and got asylum. 
called Is a cab. Right? Yeah. Was he played by Sean Connery in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> right. I can't believe I, mean, I can't do that. Um, <laughs> I, I was going to try, but uh, so he. When was that? What year was that? Uh, Seventy four. But he. So he's technically not like a refusenik. He was just uh, refusing. Uh, he the, just did it his own way. His own way. The stultifying conformity and awfulness of the Soviet Union. But you, when you were in Moscow, how long were you there for? Three years? Four years? Something like that? I was there for seven years. Seven years. years. Mm. So this is what years? I mean, what years in the kind of arc of Putin's great exper- uh, experiment in totalitarianism? <laughs> <laughs> or authoritarianism, I should say. So I got there in 2006 when Putin was really popular. That was still yeah. like Putin leading the resistance to the Iraq war. Oil, the Iraq war is unfolding. Yeah. Oil prices hit $147 a barrel. That's right, yeah. Which uh, did a hell of a lot to prop up his own popularity. Um, and then as time went on, you know, kind of unbeknownst to us, because when you live in a place like day to day, you don't see something that's written about in the history books, like the quote unquote emergence of the middle class. Yeah. But that's basically what happened in uh, 2011 and 2012. And there were these huge protests against Putin uh, when he announced that he was going to be continuing on as the, you know, the head of the country. And we'll get to that. He's he's back at it again doing mm-hmm. that. I think I'm going to stay around for another 80 years. Uh, but you were were you there at the same time as Luke Harding? Yeah, I was there at the same time as Luke Harding, and then I eventually ended up um, following him at The Guardian. Okay, because Luke has some pretty interesting stories about what the Kremlin was doing to him as a columnist, sort of rifling through his stuff and making sure people, making sure he knew that the FSB had been inside of his room and the rest of it. Did any of that stuff happen to you? You know, some stuff happened pretty early on, and then I got advice from um, somebody that, you know, some of you guys might know, Andre Soldato, who's written a mm-hmm. bunch of yeah. amazing books about the security services, the internet, hacking, and all that. And when stuff started to happen to me, like, just weird shit would happen in crowds. Like, you know, I would, I, once I remember coming out of the metro after having a long lunch with somebody at the British Embassy, and I was in this huge crowd, and a policeman just out of nowhere, like, wiggled through this crowd and just came to me and asked um, for my papers my documents. And I was like, I'm a journalist. He was like, I know. So I called Soldatov and he said, you know, what you have to do is just be as public as possible and show them you're not going to be intimidated. So what I did was (laughs) what I have since spent my life doing was I just like went on Twitter and started making jokes and just showing that it, you know, it didn't affect me, but also publicizing it. And it didn't, it rarely got, you know, more serious than that. Because I I think the last time I saw you was with Soldatov. Actually, in the oh, U.S. Yeah. at like a dinner or something yeah, downtown. Right. Um, is he still? By the way, is he still in 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 Russia? He is. Uh, he and his partner Irina Baragan just came out with um, a book about how the Kremlin, the, the modern Kremlin, is like weaponized and throughout history has weaponized uh, emigres abroad. Uh-huh. And it's a really really great book. Um, so they were on a book tour here, but they're back in Moscow. Well, let's talk about. Should we get into the match? We get into the uh, the Lev Parnas. Stuff, yeah. That's, Do you know what's going on with that? So no, but the, <laughs> Miriam's here. That's what I got her. You just stopped reading when you knew Miriam was coming. Basically, no. Actually, I, I kind of. How many like fat, like skeevy-looking Russians and Ukrainians have like waddled into our our lives? I know that sounds mean, but at some point they're, they they well, that's true. They look. They all look the same. Yeah. They look like the dudes I used to see in the bathhouses and. In yeah. Budapest, you know, yeah. just gold chains everywhere, turbo tan, yeah. and just this then like bellies made out of of reinforced steel, like yeah. these gigantic <laughs> kind of gut. And so I, I see him. I watched some of the Maddow interview yesterday, and, and I've seen some of the uh, um, commentary afterwards. And at some point, like they, the characters start to blur. I kind of don't know who's on what team yeah. and what they're doing. And figure, I'll, I'll figure it out in the wash. But I'm curious from you, like 
does that does that name mean something to you? Did it mean something to you two years ago, three years ago, or is it just sort of a character in the the modern Trump saga that has become interesting? Lev Parnas in particular. Yes. Yeah. No. He. I think he's one of a number, like you say, of a. Uh, you know, Russian Americans, Ukrainian Americans, various forms of Soviet Americans um, that, you know, try to make their way um, uh, through the world and through the country. No, I had no idea who he was until okay. the rest of the world did. But you know, you know, the most amazing thing I thought when watching just clips of the Rachel Maddow interview is predicting what clearly what Trump is going to say. Two things is one is I don't know who this guy is. That's the typical thing that he says. And the other one is his surrogates all say this guy cannot be trusted because he's a crook. And it's the amazing great thing about Trump because he hangs out with crooks. So the number of crooks you hang out with means every time they turn on you, you say, you can't trust this guy. He's a crook. Yeah. It's like, well, exactly. Those who are your your friends are all crooks. Michael Cohen. I, 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 Michael Cohen, Felix Sater. I mean, all of these guys are complete ratbags. And so so Parnas goes on television last night. And the first thing that I'm thinking, I you know, Rachel Maddow announces on Twitter. Why is he doing this now? I mean, I have a sense of why. But Miriam, why do you think that he's... Coming out and going on the enemy network uh, for Donald Trump. The day before impeachment. The day before impeachment and spilling the beans. I mean, I think he's doing it 100% to save his ass, however Mm -hmm. he can. Yeah. To me, that's like the beginning, middle, and end of it. Yeah. He's been indicted. He wants to show himself cooperating as much as he possibly can for, for leniency and also probably to... Save his reputation for if, you know, if and when he gets out of jail, if he's if he's convicted. Because he's facing a, a pretty stiff, long sentence, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so what is so the, the big bombshells of this have been a couple. And again, it's not clear of how much we should trust some of this stuff. One is that he was in cahoots, supposedly, maybe just giving the guy the time of day and a WhatsApp message with a Republican uh, fixer donor about spying on Marie Ivanovich. What, what do you make of that? Because I've heard a few people say, we don't know if that happened and it likely didn't. It was just a lot of hot, uh, hot air. And Parnas says, this guy's a fat drunk, is, what, is literally what his argument was. He's an idiot and he's a drunk. That never happened. Yeah, he was like, I've, ne- I've never seen him sober. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but before I answer that, I want to like speak to the credibility issue a little bit because I think it's totally right. This guy is was a crook or whatever adjective you want to yeah. give him. Um and he can't be trusted. He's been indicted and he was doing all this shady stuff before. But he comes to the table with hundreds of pages of text messages yeah, right. and calendar invites and voicemails. So we don't actually have to sit there and listen to him and say, oh, OK, yeah. because he's saying what a certain part of the population wants to hear, he's trustworthy. No, you can read the stuff that was documented in real time yeah. on his telephone um, but about this, um, about the threats to, to Marie Ivanovich made by this guy, Robert Hyde. Um, Who is Robert Hyde, by the way? <laughs> do, do, were you aware of him prior to um, Phil, like, uh, they... Phil Sater? <laughs> 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 yeah, Lev Sater, Lev Parnas, whatever. Vaguely, he was like really rude to Kamala Harris on Twitter when uh, when she dropped out of the race. And like he had a brief kind of. Um, oh, he had a. He, he sparkled yeah. briefly yeah, then, yeah, I guess. Yeah. It was just really sexist and terrible. Um, but uh, he, you know, he's a, he was a donor. He was um, connected to uh, one of the pro-Trump super PACs, and he's running for <laughs> he's running for office in Connecticut. And um, as the Intercept and Bastion other, of Republicans. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> but as the Intercept and others have reported, he has a long and well-documented with the police uh, history of random threats against people, forced hospitalization, um, stalking of women, you know, Worst hospitalization. 
How did I miss that? Did yeah. you know that, Matt? The Intercept no. story is really good. <laughs> oh, and the New York Times headline about him is Robert Hyde, erratic ex-landscaper, is unlikely new impeachment figure. <laughs> that, by the way, is some serious shade. It's like erratic, like ex-landscaper. Okay, that's good. Like, what else has he done? It, it doesn't reads. matter. Yeah, it, it reads. reads really well. Yeah, no, I mean, seeing this stuff and, and all, I love the cast of characters that you can't believe. I mean, because this was always the thing, like, that we've talked about this before in the show, of that if you knew conservatives in D.C. during the Bush administration or even the Obama administration, you had a, you knew a lot of these people from the think tanks like, you know, Heritage and AEI, et cetera, and just the operators. And then they all kind of evaporated and like the B and C team came in. And like, you know, I'm like, D and F team, like, wait, Matt Boyle is, is, uh, you know, actually is somewhere, isn't he? Yeah. He's like a, like a white house. I mean, he's in the white house all the time. Like Jim Hoft. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. yeah, I was just thinking about, um, uh, get shorty. Remember that movie? I I do. I don't remember much Uh, about it. It's actually a super good movie. Elmore Leonard. John Travolta in it? Travolta's in it. Um, Danny DeVito, Gene Hackman. Great movie. And I mean, they're playing a bunch of like grifter BS artists, like C and D level mafia guys who then go to Hollywood to try to like talk up their game and somehow make a a film. I think I'm, I'm getting it. It's more or less right. But like, it's like people, and we've talked about this before with Roger Stone, um, and and sort of his relationship with WikiLeaks, people always like overselling whatever they think that they can do yeah. and whatever connections that they have. And so the paper trail probably looks a hell of a lot worse than the actual whatever That's they've done. absolutely right. Is that is that that blowhards and braggarts are a problem because then when I did this piece with Alex Jones and I went down to this before he was he was just kind of emerging and I don't think that it was before the election. I think. I think it was before that. I can't remember. Maybe it was after the election. But he had talked to uh, Trump on his show, um, on the Infowars show. And, and Trump comes in, call, calls in like Skype's in or something. And I don't know if somebody, some you know, idiot on his staff was like, this guy's got a big following. He does have a big following, right? You should talk to him. And in the process of that, there's two blowhards here, obviously. Trump says, you know, Alex, uh, you know, you're so respected, we love you. Everyone loves you. And like, he's just making it up as he goes along. So people don't know Trump at this point that well. And they presume like, oh, God, these people are thick as thieves. You go back to when I go down there and I'm talking to um, Jones and I'm like, how often do you speak to the president? He's like, well, you know, Michael, I can't, I can't talk to him about it. You know, I can't tell you about it. Exactly. And I'm like, you've spoken to him once, haven't you? <laughs> like maybe <laughs> twice. And it, I realized that he was just blowing all this up. And that's what happens with all this this kind of hive of bullshitters is that everyone's one-upping everybody. And at the end, and you look at the, the, it's like, they're just a bunch of fools and hacks and they get, they, and they, they get caught all the time. It was my, it's so easy. My, to get my operating <laughs> theory of the uh, overall Russia scandal circa, like uh, soon after a, a, a James Comey firing, like uh, June yeah. and July of, of 2017 was that it's everyone around there is just a, a, a shitty liar yeah. Um. They're really low quality people in in general, and uh, and there's also like there's no as uh, we've talked about before there's there's no like bench of mm-hmm. people who are like them that have policy experience. So they're coming from the outside, and they just won an election in which part of of the attraction was we don't follow your stinking mores and we don't come from that culture. So D lists, liars, braggarts, and the inexperienced show up to try to do whatever that it's very possible that you will get them on all kinds of lying and perjuring and stuff. Cause they'll do it anytime that they're under oath. Um, but that 
the underlying there there might not be all that much, which makes today's other bit of news I think kind of interesting. The, the, G- bit. the uh, GAO, uh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, coming out <laughs> and describing you think that'd be kind of a bigger deal. <laughs> I mean, like, it's, uh, that's the like, thing. You got to you, you got to pick one. You pick this is, by the way, the next ten days like, or or fifteen days or something like that is just like newsmageddon. It's yeah. terrible. We so there's. The Iowa caucus coming up. The Super Bowl is coming up. Impeachment is starting. What am I leaving out? Uh, State of the Union. State of the, the Union. Union. My God, yeah. is in the middle of all New this. Hampshire is going to be right after. New Hampshire's right after. Yeah, the, uh, and is another least one debate. Jesus, really? There's, there's, there's a debate. Another? There's a debate in New Hampshire right before the the oh. uh, election. So February. So we're going to spend the next two or three weeks talking about whether Bernie and, and Liz are going to or like actually shake the hands this time or not shake the hands. It's going to be terrible. We'll talk about there's that. There's the uh, the alcoholism <laughs> over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's a you might need to take like a dry. Yeah. Next couple of weeks, not anyone in this room, obviously, but people who are listening. If, if you want, to I, I want to, Mary. I want to ask you a question that's it's not specifically tied to the Russia U.S. collusion Mueller mess. Uh, as sort of a broader uh, question, is that you know, as Matt said, the people around Trump are bad at this stuff. They're just not particularly good at it. They leave paper trails. They they don't succeed in what they're you know setting out to do. Usually, I mean, nothing from Zelensky, etc. You know. We have this impression that the Russians are exceptionally good at it, right? That the FSB is a continuation of the KGB, is this well-oiled machine. They kill people abroad, whether it's in Salisbury or Annapolitskaya. It does, they're very, very good at this, and they get away with it. Is that true? Are we believing their myth-making, or are they actually very, very, very good at being bad? Um, no, I don't think that they are very, very good at being bad. And I think that there's a comparison actually to be made here with um, the Trump Kind of crowd because you say that they achieved nothing they tried to get a lot yeah um they didn't get a lot of it but they got the u.s ambassador to ukraine fired yeah that is without true. cause without yeah. without cause and but that- did they have to do it because that is donald trump can do that if he chooses to do they have to do it in such a, a sort of byzantine way i mean you could just say we want to we got we want some new blood in there pull her back right I mean, he could if that was the reason, but they weren't yeah. pulling her back because they wanted new blood. He was the, you know, he was the target of a massive misinformation campaign that he bought into, yeah. um, and he ended up achieving that. But the comparison there with the Russians is, did they, um, did they hack into the DNC? Yes, mm-hmm. they probably also tried like a billion other things, and we just don't hear about the failures. It's not as much of a well-oiled machine. Um, we heard about a failure recently in Burisma, the, well, supposedly a failure, that there's been reporting that, um, uh, what is it, Fancy Bear, the, the yeah. Russian hacker collective inside the FSB or the GRU, um, you know, tried to get into Burisma, obviously, to get, maybe get some information is, about is the it, button. Is it really called Fancy Bear? Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, uh, yes, yeah. As it's opposed great. to which Cozy is, Bear. Yeah, there's Cozy Bear, <laughs> which is also a club that I own downtown. <laughs> Fancy Bear <laughs> is a Russian hacking, uh, government-sponsored. Awesome. But there, it's not clear that they failed, right? Like, yeah, well, that's what, yeah. I've heard that they maybe didn't get away with it, and that's why they were being public about it. But I think, um, you know, both in the hacking space and in what Russia is still uh, best at, which is just like good old fashioned on the ground spying and turning sources and stuff, they try a lot of things. And you know, we've heard about a couple of successes, and therefore they're these big, you know, wonderful giants. But there's yeah. plenty of stuff that fails. Yeah, that's I, interesting. I've, yeah. I've got a, a, a long time, um, uh, uh, just sort of built in Russophobia. Always have, um, unapologetic. <laughs> um, no, it's fine. Um, that, yeah, no, Russian, she's a good Russian. The, good Russian, the, yeah, the ones Russian, that get here, the good yeah, Russians. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. No, but it's it's more like yeah. My my dad was in the uh, in aerospace and. 
You'd ask him, like, what do you do for a living? He's like, I get the Ruskies. You know, that's yeah, like yeah, how yeah. you look yeah. at it. Your dad's uh, also completely insane. Yeah, he's had a lot, <laughs> yeah, just lost for, his mind a just, little just, long just for the record. Um, but so as someone who's uh, been sensitive and uh, covered uh, the abuses of Putin and even the governments before him and and the whole kind of near abroad uh, insanity and like murderous in, insanity of the way they, they crack down on various regimes there. Um, I So I come in having a lot of animus towards that. And yet when I watch, especially MSNBC or, or kind of like the, you know, the, the Trump era um, uh, kind of wish list anti-Trump media talking about Russia, I'm like, you do, it's impossible to hate Russia more than me. And you people are crazy yeah. the way that you're described. So what's yeah. it like for you when you watch this? It's been incredibly, like, incredibly frustrating. It's like, weird, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you know, I talk to a lot of former Russia reporters who are based in the U.S. now, whether in New York or in D.C., like we're everywhere. And um, it was really hard, um, especially at the height of Russiagate, because our instincts were to be very skeptical about, you know, the immense power and ability of uh, the Russian government and yeah. of its security forces. But then you can't help but think like, wait, are we just too cynical because we lived in Russia too long and it's a very cynical place? And you are really, you know, you're truly subject to so many sort of conspiracy theories and stuff there that you start to believe that maybe truth isn't really possible. And what can we really know? And we're like, are we thinking that too much? And really, all these reporters are right. And, you know, Putin has just single handedly um, taken the U.S. election. It was it was really hard trying trying to balance those two things. But, you know, I wrote a few pieces that. I think stand up really well that were that were skeptical of um, just how kind of conclusive everybody was. What, being. what was the most egregious thing that you saw? And I would say not one that was just sort of an individual egregious thing, but one that was repeated. The often. one the, the one that and I wrote about it, the one to me was when remember that moment when everybody was like, who did Russian ambassador Kislyak meet with? Yeah. Oh, my God. He met with this guy. Oh, my God. He met with that guy. Oh, my God. He met with that woman. And it's like, dude, he's doing his job. <laughs> he's like, the, he's the let's find out what they talked about. And then, you know, maybe we can report on it. But there was like a couple of weeks there where every single day it'd be like the Times, the Post, the Times, the Post um, and a bunch of other outlets, you know, just saying who he had met with. And to me, that wasn't enough because I saw that in Russia Yeah. when anytime the U.S. ambassador would meet with somebody Kremlin state media would go crazy yeah. and you're like, wait, like having a meeting is it's not a bad thing. We're not trying to like overturn the overturn the Kremlin here. Yeah. It's a meeting. No, I mean, it's it's it was pretty embarrassing uh, to watch some of that stuff. And I think that we get a lot, a lot of uh, listener emails when we make mistakes, even if they're small mistakes. We have a very active uh, uh, listener base. And I know I'm going to get some emails for this. But it is funny to watch this, this, the omnipotent Russian security services that can you know, remotely control your brain, is that if you look at some of that stuff, particularly some of the, the, the hacking, and I use the sort of air quotes on hacking, because it is not hacking in the way that I think that most people would think of hacking, which is like sort of zero-day exploits, finding vulnerabilities in software. You know, Microsoft just released this enormous update um, they had to download because the NSA found like a zero-day exploit, something that nobody had noticed in the sort of .NET framework. So you look at the actual what happened to the Russians, and they're just phishing attacks. They're just spear phishing attacks. And it's like somebody sent you a document from a kind of shitty, fake email address that's not even really well-masked. It's not as if they're, they're, they're you know, actually you know, mimicking the exact address. It's you know, changing something. You know, like when people on Twitter change an I to a capital L or something, and you think it's the real account. 
and then you click on it and you don't have two uh, pass uh, two factor authentication on and you just give them your password and then they're like, thank you. And they just walk in. So it's it, rather than like tunneling into the bank, it's stealing somebody's keys. Right. And they're just or they're, they're giving them to you, actually. So I always when I when I said the indictment, when people were skeptical of this stuff, the indictment of those Russians, it's going to be 12, 15, I don't know, right. is absolutely amazing, fascinating reading. And I would recommend anyone read it. Because it is like it's a it's like a pot boiler. It's a pretty great like thirty five page indictment of how these guys went about hacking the DNC, and it is so explicit that the only thing you think of halfway through is, oh wow, we were watching them, or we know how to watch them because you're seeing exactly what they're doing moment to moment, going in and out of certain things, and the American government was very good at this stuff. The NSA is, the NSA is very good, and my guess is that they're 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 far better. And I'm only a few kind of data points to, to, to support this, but them combined with the Israelis um, in, in that sort of force together are kind of unstoppable when it comes to, comes to um, hacking and things like that. So anyway, um, but back to the uh, Russia, let's go directly to Moscow because I think there's been a lot of confusion about the entire cabinet of Vladimir Putin resigning, but Miriam Elder this is not because they're like, you know what? We're done with you, Putin. You're doing the, we're resigning. That's not what happened, is it? No, they were told to resign. <laughs> <laughs> this so, is a Russian resignation. Yeah, this wow. is This is also, this is Russia's version of politics. Like everything yeah. there, it's, I mean, aside from like the brutal crackdowns on <clears throat> any sort of like, you know, people who don't agree with Putin, et cetera, et cetera. Um, politics there is like fairly boring. And uh, every once in a while, Putin orchestrates a bit of political theater, which is what he did yesterday um, when he, you know, he had his basically his version of the State of the Union address in the morning. And he announced that he was going to be making all these changes, proposing, a.k.a. making all these changes to the Constitution um, that would empower other parts of the Russian government. Because the big question in Russia is he has to step down in 2024 and what's he going to do? Um, and so then the news came out uh, later in the day that the whole Russian government had, quote unquote, resigned. But so that so that it would be easier for him to pass these amendments to the Constitution, as if that could ever be hard for Putin. Like he can literally do absolutely whatever he wants. So it was just really a bit of political theater to give a kind of veneer of like process and respectability to what is ultimately Putin's authoritarianism and him being able to do whatever he wants. So how is it that, you know, it's a sort of modern Russian politics is interesting because it, it follows the path that one would expect. I mean, people have these theories about why kind of Russian democracy emerged the way it did. And, you know, the Germans call this the Zonderweg. This is a special path of Germany and it could only only happen there. The The Russian version of this is kind of interesting and different right now because, you know, from 1917 to 1991, you didn't need that patina of credibility. You didn't need the, you, you would just hand the baton to the next person and you'd have these little, you know, and drop off and Chernyanko and then they just die and they just give it to somebody else. Now, why is it that in modern Russia, is it because of the internet? Is it because of, of that there was a brief period of openness and democracy for about a decade? Why is it that they even feel the need to go through this thing of like, we got to make the changes and why not just say, I'm staying? I mean, everyone knows this about Putin. Why does he have to do it in that sort of kind of let's make it sort of legal way? Right. Well, the term in Russia is managed democracy. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's how that's how they consider it. Like controlled choice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, 
Part of it's a couple of things. First, it's I think that Putin cares a lot about his own uh, legacy, and he he does care a lot about something like the Constitution in theory. Yeah, like he still considers himself as out there in opposition to the absolute chaos that ruled um, when the Soviet Union fell and as the '90s unfolded, and he needs to present himself as like, for you know, lack of a better term, the law and order president. Yeah. So following procedure and and showing people that there is some sort of stability and rules um, is really important to him. And as for the protests against him um, that flared up again uh, a few months ago, it's a couple of things. I think the Internet is really important because it broke the stranglehold on uh, information that state run media had been putting out there ever since Putin came to power. Um, And it's also it is also this middle class that, you know, emerged around t- 2009, 2010, um, that really that really expects more. Like, it's so different than the Soviet Union. These aren't people who are just like living in St. Petersburg or Krasnoyarsk or wherever. Like, they go to Paris on the weekends. Yeah. They go to London. They come to New York. And they see um, the choices that people can make for their own form of governance. Yeah. Uh, and they want that too. I've just, I, I've just, I could go back how many years, probably to to just after the kind of oil boom, and we're up at one forty five, one forty seven dollars a barrel, and people predicting that the Russian economy is in shambles, and that people will be upset about this soon enough, and it doesn't seem to have happened. But I think one of the weird things about the American vision of Russia, which is of course so distorted uh, from the things like Russia Gate, watching. MSNBC is 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 a bizarre experience if you know anything about the country at all. Uh, but, you know, I remember when Gorbachev ran for president and he got o- under 1% of the vote. And everyone was like, what the hell happened? I can't believe this. How did he get 1%? It's like we've been, he's on the news here all the time. And it's like, you know, Gary Kasparov, whom I love, I just think he's a, a, a great psycho, brilliant guy. Mm-hmm. But no one in Russia cares about Gary Kasparov and care less of what he thinks. He lives in the Upper West Side. You know, and, and I don't know, what is Navalny's uh, popularity and these kind of, you know, I wouldn't say dissidents, but the, the opposition such as it is, and always has the problem, as is the case in Venezuela and the rest of it, of unity. That's always a problem with, you know, you know, fractured oppositions. Is there an actual opposition that, if in an open democratic society, would have a chance of unseating this government? I don't know if they would have a chance of unseating uh, the government. I think, again, you can kind of... I think that if if Americans kind of look at what ha- at what's happening here, they can understand Russia a bit better. Yeah. Because I remember I you know when I was living over there and I would come home and people would be like, "But nobody likes Putin, right?" And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. mm, "No, but yeah. like they do." And it's like here, you know, if if you were talking only to like people, you know, on the lower east side or whatever, like you're it's going to be hard to find a Trump supporter. That doesn't mean that there are no Trump supporters yeah. in the country. There are plenty. Um, and it's really similar. It's really similar in Russia. As for like somebody who can unseat him, I think it's a hard question to answer just because, A, like they aren't allowed to run. B, Navalny is basically blacklisted. Not basically. He's blacklisted, yeah. not just from appearing on the biggest channels in Russia, but from having his name even mentioned yeah. on the biggest channel. So there's a lot. And of, is frequently arrested, too. Yes. Yeah. And is arrested. And but, you know, he he's really effective. He's it's he's really different than um, Gary Kasparov. Like. 
he he puts out these, you know, these investigations on YouTube that are like super slickly produced. And he really exposes like very. The Medvedev one was fantastic. Yeah. And like serious, tangible corruption. And I think, you know, there is um, there is like this hunger for for real information um, about about anything, but about including about wrongdoing in Russia. And so he's popular for that. But it's not the sort of thing where like. Suddenly, you know, if we turned around tomorrow and had a free and fair election in Russia, he would win. No, but it's there's so many factors that lead to that answer. Yeah, there's I mean, a, yeah, go I was, ahead. Uh, I saw a story uh, come over the wires, I think, yesterday that um, a described by the independents in London uh, as a fascist party, and it's kind of close. The Nationalist Party in Slovakia is now the second highest uh, 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 party there. They want to uh, obviously rehabilitate the image of Joseph Tiso, the mm-hmm. cleroco-fascist who ran the country uh, in a brief uh, period of Hitlerian independence uh, in, uh, in the, like the, the, this is the arrow cross people or is that just in Hungary? that's Hungary yeah. Yeah, uh, they had they had a similar name I'm, yeah. I'm blanking on it uh, now but anyways um, and like they, their program was like there's just way too many Jews here so I mean, yeah, they, yeah. They, I mean yeah. seriously like that's yeah. the no, no, uh, sure. and they and the, there's language in the in their article about how they're trying to modernize by saying I love well, when they say too many like there's an amount that's okay there's like <laughs> there's 13 <laughs> Jews yeah, in Slovakia yeah, yeah. Um, and that's too many for them and they're like well, well they're trying to modernize their so they're saying that there's too many immigrants overall yeah um, but anyways thinking about this uh, uh, because I was uh, uh, there uh, in at the dawn of that country in 1993 and the liberal opposition was always like the source of incredible angst and and prediction by especially the foreign press, of which there wasn't a lot, uh, because those are the people that you drank with, right? Those sure. are the people who were cool and they liked the same music that you did. They were getting money from George Soros, Open Society type of, of things. And they all had dreams about the day when these pesky nationalists would go away. And there isn't, it seems to me, much of a track record in Central Europe, the like the the more advanced kind of Visegrad for Central Europe of post-communist uh, political parties that rise up on anti-corruption. Like I, I think that's got to be the place where the sort of uh, response to the nationalism populism comes from. It has to be like an anti-corruption. Like the people. Uh, there's been a series of really good articles in the New York Times over the last month or so. Uh, detailing how uh, the same assholes who run Hungary, um, the Czech president other, uh, or prime minister, uh, and all of their family, they have wired the system. So while they're bashing the EU at all costs, they're getting the most subsidies, their family, from the EU. Like they're absolutely working the system. So they all become corrupt. When you look at, at populism and the rise of it over the la- last decade, both right populism and left populism um, which are both uh, on on the march all over the place, they inevitably are kind of more corrupt than the uh, the bad, crappy neoliberal stat- status quo that everybody hates uh, because those people like created a structure that they sort of – you don't do the things that a Donald Trump does or that um, uh, what's-his-face in Modi in, in India does. There's just sort of a base level of corruption. So that's what I'm hoping for at some point. Uh, that you can like a Navalny figure. It's not going to happen, uh, you know, anytime soon. But in some of these other countries too, that you can get an actual a response to the populism that is explicitly anti-corruption because these people are corrupt. They tend to be much more than others. It, it, and it works. It's sort of effective sometimes in places like Venezuela. We have the bully bourgeoisie, which is a really amazing thing to watch. I mean, there was a moment where Venezuela was importing more scotch than any other place on earth. 
and like expensive scotches because all these people were they were looting PDVSA, the the state run oil company. As same, it's there's less money at stake, but the same is true in Nicaragua when the Daniel Ortega came back. I mean, they just ha- they owned all these big houses in Managua they took in 1979 and stayed in, and they ultimately all collapse into corruption, and that's what annoys people. But when it has to be when that disparity is so large, like in Venezuela and, and, and Nicaragua, where people are like legitimately starving, poor and starving, and then you see these people going around uh, central Caracas and, and, and Humvees and the rest of it. But uh, yeah, to the point of, of um, the way we look at things, I, the greatest thing I saw was on the way over here. I was on the train. <laughs> I heard a guy talking, and I usually think it's showtime. You know, and if, for those of you guys have New York, when somebody says it's showtime, it's trying to go time to go to a different car because people have put on a jukebox and like just dance on the pole. It's, it's terrible. Occasionally great. It's, I've never, you know, I've never watched one because I don't, I can't make, I, I'm too embarrassed to make eye contact. They're, they're, I look down. I try to, because it's like, you're not allowed to look at it because it only encourages them. That's my, that's my theory. It's, well, we, you know. we broke down Showtime in a previous episode, and Andrew Wimside actually cut out a great uh, clip of us describing oh, it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, well, yeah. Showtime's such a big part of my life. <laughs> but I heard someone talking, and I had my headphones on. And I looked up, and it was this guy who was straight out of central casting with a clipboard and a Bernie sticker on it, like, you know, stumping for Bernie. And I'm like, dude. On the if, subway? On the subway. Uh, like, on the M train, too. It's like coming from Brooklyn. Uh. And, and I was like, dude. It's like going to Riyadh and trying to say, telling people, like, you know, you should really embrace Islam. It's like, what are you doing? I mean, this is the wrong crowd, guy. Like, we're we're good. If you want to go and, and like get the Bernie people, you're in the wrong place. Uh, but Miriam also, of course, is covering things beyond just Russia. And I don't want to sort of pigeonhole you as, as, as you. someone who only talks about <laughs> Russia because you are... A Russian. I contain um, multitudes. You do contain <laughs> multitudes. Um, who did you watch the debate? Mary? Yeah, all of it. Yeah, sure. Uh, Miriam, did you watch it too? Oh yeah. You fucking bastard. Did you? <laughs> you did too. Oh, yeah. I got halfway through, and then I turned. I, I, the problem is, I actually watched the rest of it later. Um, it is really horrifying, isn't it? I, I, I tune out for a little bit, and I, I come back, and I'm like, who is paying? I, who is paying attention to these people? I, I thought that that uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, as always, and people give me a hard time in the show because they think I'm, you know, becoming a Bernie Sanders supporter. But I think he did a great job. You are. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't like his politics, but I like him as a politician. Yeah. I think he's good at it. Am I wrong about this? Someone. Someone. He wins elections. People like him if they, even though they don't agree. Well, with Elizabeth Warren will say that he loses elections. Bernie just uh, polled as the most popular senator in the country again. Poll just came out today. Is that yeah. is that true? Yeah. Was that from the Socialist Worker newspaper? Or was <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was shared by Frank Luntz for what that's oh, worth. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, uh, Frank Luntz is a real. <laughs> I I actually thought that the first uh, twenty five minutes of the debate or so, despite the best and worst efforts of CNN and Wolf Blitzer and the rest, um, ended up being interesting because it was about foreign policy, and they try to ask a bunch of sort of yes or no questions, and that always doesn't work. But but. It elicited answers that I thought were granted. I come by a bias of of being less skeptical, less enthusiastic about intervention than the average, uh, probably Democrat or Republican at this point. But um, you know, like Elizabeth Warren saying, "No, we have to get rid of combat troops in Afghanistan and the Middle East." It's just it's too. She had a, a good line that she's probably said five trillion times that. Uh, what was it like? Oh, it's uh, we we're, we're you know we're always about ready to turn the corner in Afghanistan. We've turned so many corners right now that we're going yeah, in yeah, circles, yeah. right? Yeah. But she's right, I think, about that fundamentally. But then it was an actual interesting debate between people, and there's differences of opinion about what happens when you withdraw troops. Does that mean you create the vacuum that Noah Rothman hates and other people hate? Um, and it was a good discussion, uh, and 
And the party itself, on uh, despite you know claims, I think by Tulsi Gabbard and other uh, people, is in a less interventionist place, or at least the the semi front runners than have been for a really really long time. Uh, and and I find that hard. I got to find something to take away that's positive watching these kind of things. Well, over it's and over it's again. a matter of what they say and what they do. I mean, right. I mean, the, the Elizabeth Warren has proven herself to be a master bullshitter. And a, a complete fraud, as far as I, I'm concerned. And no, if, the, the, the tell what's well, I mean, I mean, let, let's start a foreign policy. I mean, you, she's given an opportunity to knock Trump on pulling American troops from Kurdistan, Kurdish border, et cetera. And she's like, you know, this is crazy. I can't believe you did this. And then in the debate, she's like, you know, get them all out of there. It's like, well, can, let, let's let's figure out which one, because the consequences, which I agree with her on with uh, the Kurds, are terrible and will will end up being terrible for a long time, not only on the ground consequences for actual Kurds, but for America keeping its word and Donald Trump holding up the Kurds in, during the election 2016. Every time, like, we just got to give more money to the Kurds. The Kurds are the best. And I in used, fact, when they asked him questions about the Kuds. Yeah, yeah, the Kuds Force. About, yeah, when he was on Hugh Hewitt's show. He's like, I love those Kurds. And he's like, no, it's the Kuds Force. Um, then he was like, let's kill that guy. <laughs> so, a little later, he figured that out. Isn't she just being a smart politician, though? And she knows... As Obama knew, as Trump knew, that what people in this country want is they want to hear that yeah. we're bringing those boys home and women home from uh, from the Middle East. Like, yeah. we're done. No more wars. Yeah, but they're full of shit. I mean, it's... Yeah, but it's, that's politics. Yeah, no. I mean, but it's 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 also the, the job of everybody else to call them out on it and make sure to, to give them, to say, you're not going to get away with this. I mean, Elizabeth Warren seems to be the type of person who will tell any story depending on the audience. I mean, it's it's... You know, when she's the guy stops her, that video, and she's like, you know, my kids go to public schools and I am with you. And it's like you're literally lying to this guy, to his face on the campaign trail and something that's easily checkable. And she was checked. And, you know, I this is the moment where I sound like fucking Brent Bozell, but not a big deal made out of that, by the way. Of just lying about the fact that her kids went to public school and she was a great champion of the working class. Well, this definitely is going to cause a problem given what everyone is talking about with the debate itself, which is nothing to do with like foreign policy and yeah. theory thereof, or even like them arguing over how to pay for Medicare for all for the 75th time. Um, like you could just totally pass out, like yeah, choose yeah. that moment to inject all the heroin and, and you'll start to, you'll wake, you'll wake up 45 minutes later and you wouldn't have missed a thing. But uh, no, it's the stupid uh, arguments over a private conversation that she had with Bernie Sanders in December of 2018. Yeah. And did he tell her that he thought that a woman couldn't be president or not? Um, and then afterwards, when Moynihan had already uh, done his little balloon, uh, <laughs> uh, they didn't uh, shake hands afterwards. And that's like all anyone is going to talk about. So if you're going to have a literal he said, she said moment, literal, mm -hmm. it's he and she, and they say different things about the same private, not particularly interesting meeting, it's kind of a problem if you have a bit of a habit demonstrated to fudge things. And she does, I think. She does. Miriam, uh, I see you stewing over there. <laughs> your furrowed brow. I can see your Elizabeth Warren tattoo and your neck just came out. Yeah, popping. The veins are popping. <laughs> it's next to the Eddie Vedder tattoo. Why, why are we all wrong? <laughs> um, first, I don't think it's a stupid fight. Um, I can like read endlessly about this. I agree. Like Obviously, the issues are important, but also like we're coming down to the wire here and you have you know two of the four front runners um duking it out because like 
either one of them wins, one of them loses, or both of them lose. Like the stakes are pretty high. I just I just don't think it's dumb. Um, and as for like using her history of quote unquote like lying, I mean, we could play the same game with absolutely anybody who has ever run for office. And we do on the show. Exactly. <laughs> as you should. Yeah, yeah. As you should. But to me, the question of whether you believe, you know, Bernie or you believe Warren um, doesn't come down to doesn't come down to that. My my personal take on the whole thing is that like they are they're probably both right. They probably remember it different ways. Men and women remember things differently. Something that I, I really believe that Bernie doesn't believe that he was being sexist. I also really believe that Warren thinks that he said something sexist. And like where where does that charge of sexism come from? Same thing with charges of racism. Same thing with charges of anti-Semitism. If I take it that way, then it was. Yeah, I don't. But well, I, I don't know. Wait, if, I, if I take it that way, then it was. What if uh, I perceive what? something as sexist? It doesn't matter if you intended to be sexist or not. Right. Okay. You were being sexist. If 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 we take it that way, and and it's two people in an office situation or something, or two people on the street, or two people who are friends. And you say, I believe that person to be sexist. I believe that was their intent, and they, they, they deny that. That's one thing. doesn't we, have to be intent. Uh, well, or, or it wasn't their intent, and they're just sort of blindly sexist, or they've, they've internalized sexism or whatever it might be. Um, that's one thing. If you're going onto a debate stage and telling the entire world that this man has sexist beliefs, and we can't even agree upon what was said— I think that's something different, right? And and I well, don't, those aren't the words that she used. Well, she, and it's not like she just came out there and was like, "Oh, hey, debate stage, let's talk about this." Like, you know, there was this well, it was CNN a setup. Story. No, she set it up. I mean, I mean why, this is where uh, the, 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 that all came I, from her. I can't, I cannot con- come up with a scenario in which this story leaked without her blessing. Can well, you? there was I mean, only like, two people in that room. There's Who's... two people. Why are we hearing about it right particularly now? Right before um, the debate. I mean, there's there's no. You know, I think I think that's an incredibly fair question. And obviously, either Warren or people, you know, in her campaign were incredibly pissed off to hear that Bernie, you know, was like telling people or that so pissed off. They talked about it 13 months later. No, that the campaign was that was don't forget the Politico story from a couple of days prior that said that, you know, the Bernie campaign was going around and saying, you know, if you're canvassing in Iowa or whatever and people ask you, why should I? Support Bernie say that, you know, Warren's uh, Warren supporters tend to be uh, more educated and they're going to turn out and vote anyway. And she's not going to bring in uh, new voters like the the this didn't start with the CNN story revealing this conversation. This started with the Politico story um, showing that like this, you know, non-aggression pact had been fraying from the part of the Sanders campaign. I would argue, uh, I mean, that what it starts with fundamentally is that. There has been consistently from, you know, uh, 12 months ago, 30 to 35 percent of the vote available for progressives in this campaign. It like hasn't wavered even a little bit. It's grown a little bit. It used to be around 30. Now it's 35. But if you add back when de Blasio was still in it, now it's basically just Steyer's the only one um, who's uh, showing any real pulse uh, from the progressive left. Um, When it began, Elizabeth Warren was... 7% 7% of it and Bernie was 23. And back then maybe that's not the that's not the play that you you do is come and talk about that meeting. But then she got parity, then she got ahead. She was like up in betting markets. She was the person even above yeah. Biden in some betting markets and then she hit some kind of ceiling made out of glass or something mm-hmm. else and started to go down. Bernie has had a lot of uh, momentum yeah. in the polls the last kind of 
week, month or so, came back from his heart attack. Um, and people sort of writing these positive stories about it, like maybe you can be a crazy socialist and win. That's like yeah. the the story of the week in uh, in the uh, in politics right now. And so it feels really kind of like a sense of desperation before Iowa to change something. Right. Well, it's, like, it's also important that that this is somebody running for president. <laughs> Obviously, this is an important point not to lose sight of. Is that to claim that Bernie Sanders made this statement and characterized it in a way that a very, very, very smart woman who's a lawyer and a politician could only have taken as a direct kind of sexist or subterranean sexist idea that Bernie Sanders has is kind of coincidental for what they're both trying to achieve and when it's being you know aired. Even if the political story was a couple uh, you know days earlier, it wasn't the same story. And also this this insane stuff that I'm seeing, and I tweeted a bunch of headlines from this, and this is right, left, and center. Breitbart saying this, CNN saying this, people on the left saying this. CNN saying this a lot. Uh, a lot saying this story has been confirmed. Four people, uh, Elizabeth Warren confirms the story that we reported. Oh, come on now. Are we serious at this point? There's two people in that meeting. Who is telling the story? She is. Oh, my she's God. Telling I it, feel like, honestly. She's telling it to the, the four people that had said this are are who? who? Who was in there that saw that? Nobody but her. This is so the come same conversation that we have been having with, like, every Me Too story from the beginning. Like, No, it isn't. Yes, it to- is. I can't imagine something more different. Ye- ye- yes, it is because these are difficult things. There were only two people in that room. Oftentimes, there are only two people. But in nobody in me too says con- how- confirmation. We have confirmation. How? Yes, we do. How do we? How no, do no. we? Mm-hmm. How do we report yeah. that stuff out? Yeah. We go and say, like, did you tell anybody at the time? And then you say, oh yeah, I told my best friend right after it happened. You go find the best friend. Did you write about it anywhere? Did you? And then you find contemporaneous accounts. This is like but you the th- standard. You don't, but you don't think there's any difference between somebody who is like a secretary of Harvey Weinstein and people who work for Elizabeth Warren's campaign leaking this to CNN. There's no difference. I think those are two different questions. Absolutely, there's a difference. I, she is a politician. She's a politician looking to win an election. And that's why this is coming up Absolutely. Yeah. However, what you were talking about was that this is an unconfirmable sort of fact, and ergo, no, no. we should meet. We should no, no, believe no. Bernie. No, that, no, 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 that's not. It's not even close to what I said. I, I said that it is not. It is not honest journalism to say that Elizabeth Warren confirms the stories that we reported that started with her. She started those stories. She told people, and she's then confirming them a few days later when she talks about it on the debate stage. That's not confirmation. So, for instance, as you know, as a journalist, if I tell somebody a story, tell four people a story, and then someone goes and reports it and then says, I have four sources. No, you don't. You have four people to talk to me. That's one source. That's me. Right? And so I don't see that as confirmation. I can't say whether or not this happened. The other difference, I think, with me, too, is Harvey Weinstein, uh, you know, just as being the, the sort of prime example of me too and somebody's on trial now we don't need to to really scratch our chins on this we have hundreds of people that confirm this i know people that were victims of harvey weinstein i know them personally very very well i know people who work for harvey weinstein that can confirm the same thing bernie sanders do we have any other evidence that in his long storied political career that he has been sexist other than say like i mean for christ's sake he he encouraged um, um, Elizabeth Warren to run in, when, in 2017. So this is one of my bugbears. Mm-hmm. I think, I and like I said before, I really believe that Bernie believes he didn't say anything sexist. 
And it's clear that he has feminist principles. He supports, you know, women's rights platforms. Nobody is saying that. What I'm saying, and this is the only place where a comparison to anything Me Too-ish comes into play, because I'm not calling Bernie Sanders a sexual abuser here. But what it comes down to is, um, you know, and I think, I don't know, this is something I've noticed, like with, with men on the right, they will say sexist shit to your face and they will tweet sexist shit and it'll be just out in the open. And when it comes from the left, oftentimes there's like a lack of recognition that something, some sort of behavior can be sexist or that you can have said something sexist. I really believe Bernie doesn't think he said something sexist, but maybe Elizabeth Warren as a woman, you know, is sitting there and she takes in something that he has said and someone that she considers, you know, a friend, a comrade, whatever you want to call it. And just the, the, the way that he mentions it or the fact that he mentions it, she will take that as sexist. That's the way it works. Like sexism is not it's not like black and white. Like you say that you hate women. You say that, you know, women aren't fit for the work, workplace. Women aren't fit for the White House. Like that's not the only way that sexism um illustrates itself but, but let me ask you a question then if if bernie sanders and this is i think that, that, that he did on that debate stage didn't say that it was even a misinterpretation he said i said nothing of the sort but if it was right and we're relying upon elizabeth warren's interpretation of this and it hit her ear in a particular way if bernie sanders is saying as hillary clinton said during the campaign america is a sexist place and therefore i don't know which is absurd by the way because hillary clinton got three million more votes than Donald Trump did, that America is not ready for a woman leader and the, the poll numbers are that way. And it's a real crying shame that America is imbued with this kind of subterranean patriarchal I ideology. And therefore they run away from a very good and qualified female candidate. That seems to me something like maybe Bernie would say, I don't know. I wasn't there obviously, but is that itself sexist? If she heard that as saying, you're not, you're telling me that I can't be a president because I'm a woman when he's just like, no, no, no. I'm just telling you the data doesn't support that, whether or not that's true. In my book. Yeah. Yes. Because you have Elizabeth Warren, a sitting senator, a woman who has run for office. Does she need a man? In Massachusetts. Does she need a man telling her that this is going to be hard because you're a woman? <laughs> that's sexist. Assuming that she hasn't thought this through in a billion different ways. It's not like, again, it's not the sexism that says um, you can't fly a plane or, you know, you can't write a book. It's that much more pernicious sexism that um, just kind of seeps into the way like you are in the world. So do you think Bernie Sanders is sexist? I haven't met Bernie Sanders. No. Um, but you've seen him on the debate stage. You've seen him in public life for a long time. I think, basically, I think that... <laughs> I'm going to out myself here. I think most people are sexist and it's just a matter of actively working. Most again. men or most people? <laughs> All men. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> most people. And I think it's about actively working against it. Um, and again, I think it's a problem, you know, that, that, that isn't, that, that isn't the stance. I think, you know, we've gotten to a kind of amazing place with, um, with racism, for example, where it's like, we have all been imbued with, these racist principles um, just from like the education that we received or being white people in the world with certain kinds of privilege. And we have to be consciously working against it all the time. And I think that the same thing that the 
only thing that works is a similar approach with uh, sexism. I feel like I can't respond to the race thing because Camille's not here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like that's Camille's in. I'm, I'm, like, I'm texting I'm him in Hong Kong. I'm actually texting right now. You really, you, you really, there's something for you here. You have a debate with Miriam. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Matt, you were going to say? Uh, next time. Uh, practical question on that. I have uh, perhaps my own uh, uh, take on that was different than yours, but from a practical political standpoint, um, that approach. Do you think that that is a winner politically? Because I really think that it is not. I think it's demonstrably not. But I, you know, sexist so or whatever. Um, <laughs> but like I, I think as a gambit right now, what Elizabeth Warren is doing, and I, I try as hard as I can to never make predictions in politics. Yeah. Um, uh, because they're always wrong and predictions are bad and the world is crazy. But my prediction on this is that this will absolutely backfire for Elizabeth Warren. In Whenever this case. a woman speaks up about what's happened to her, be it sexual assault, be it um, sexual harassment, be it a sexist remark, it's always used against her. Right. But like it can, end of story, something can be used against someone, but it doesn't mean it works. Like, right. Like you can you can. No, use... I mean, it's bad. Like the effects are almost always bad. I don't I don't think that it's good for either Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders. That so this politically, is the dominant they're, conversation. they're both losing. Is what you mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nobody's going to come out a winner of this. Yeah. We'll Except see. Donald Trump. Yeah. Donald Trump will come out as one of this. Yeah, Biden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's it, it, I thought that, you know, I think that one of the things that made me think that this was very well considered and thought out by the Warren camp was that when you're a politician and you've been a politician for a long time, you know when you're wearing a lav mic. You know exactly. I mean, this was obviously, I mean, she's, this was, you know, performative. I mean, she wasn't doing that because she's getting the last word there by saying, you called me a liar on stage, right? And, and repeats it twice. And like the, the audio leaks out. It's like, no, no, she, she was wearing a mic. <laughs> and CNN released it, right? And so like, it seems to me that Elizabeth Warren, at the very least, thinks that this is something that will benefit her, not only in Iowa, but with her base. I, the one thing that she doesn't take into consideration, by the way, is how much this galvanizes the Bernie people. Well, those gonna, people go crazy. I mean, Planet Bernie Bro already has a bit of a... Uh... You're going to get... If any of them heard you say that, you'd get <laughs> fucked up. Because yeah. the existence of the Bernie Bro is is something that you can't even say. I saw someone on uh, on Twitter get super mad at being called a Bernie Bro. Uh, yeah. This woman, um, uh, and like in high it, it, dignity, I clicked on her profile, and it, she describes herself as a Bernie Bro, but yeah. just didn't like it to <laughs> use as a pejorative. Oh, that's funny. Um, it would uh, uh, pretty funny, but no, they they are not known for their online manners. No, um, they're not known for their gentle touch. No, uh, generally speaking, I mean, I think Bernie has a great plausible deniability thing. Well, I, I mean, he's very much like Ron Paul, right? Like he's avuncular guy who believes in the pure ideology, and so he's the kids love him for that. Um, seems kind of half crazy. The hair's coming out of his ears, um, but like you don't actually think that he believes in the Bernie Sanders survival report stuff uh, in the, in the same way or whatever, like, like the nasty stuff is happening by people who work for them, not them themselves, generally speaking, I think from those people, but like, that's a huge army that Bernie Sanders has at his, uh, fingertips. And they were already like Elizabeth Warren, the neoliberals like her. They like her. Yeah. Yeah. She's a sellout. You're going to see. They've ignored Buttigieg, which was like, he's a CIA agent and, (laughs) and, and he comes back up, uh, but I think what this does is I, I, you're, you're right, uh, about the, uh, about it's not Donald. Matt is pointing to Miriam. Donald, uh, he's never said that and pointed to me. No, (laughs) I know. 
um, about like Joe Biden is the beneficiary. That's this assures that they're neither of them are going to stand down in this campaign. They are they're polling so close to each other. They're going after that 35 percent. They're not growing it that much beyond that. So if one's at 18, one's at 16, and Tom Steyer's like, hey, can I look at the camera? Um, Why is Tom Steyer on stage? Because he bought, he he spent $100 million. This is when I'm Bernie Sanders. I'm like, why is this man on stage? It's crazy. This is outrageous. And like adding fucking nothing. Fucking nothing. It's really, like at least really Andrew nothing. Yang is wearing like math pins and like just acting like a complete psycho. <laughs> did you also notice, speaking of billionaires buying their way into the conversation, did you see Bloomberg's uh, social media team going, going insane? What was that? Wait, was that, he that, not hacked? Uh, no, 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 no. That was that was the, the, the Bloomberg campaign confirmed that they were quote having some fun that night, <laughs> and so what they they got some brilliant meme, fun. They, they got some brilliant Gonzo meme makers who were able to dominate the Twitter conversation at least it's a small audience, but they were able to interject themselves into an otherwise excruciatingly boring debate. Yeah. Wow, that I thought that was I thought no, it was real. It was yeah. like speaking of the uh, two factor authentication. I'm like, man, Bloomberg's not even figuring this out. But if they're both polling equally uh, until the end, yeah, that equal is going to be less than Joe Biden. Joe well, Biden. And don't forget that until the end, also like Bernie and Elizabeth Warren are about to spend like two plus weeks in in D.C. every single day. They can't yes. be in Iowa. Yeah, that's exactly right. So exactly, it's right. just not. Not looking at uh, who, uh, somebody gave that uh, as an excuse when they when they dropped out of the race. Who was the one who dropped out of the race? Recently, just said that I'm, Booker I'm, just dropped out. Yeah, it was a Booker was like, yeah, I need to be back for this impeachment stuff. And Not like, that he ran out of money. Yeah, and you have no money, and you're pulling at four percent. But you know that's fine. But no, I mean Bernie Sanders was interviewed today about this very issue, and it was funny. I mean, I credit for the honesty and he was like i don't want to be here but i have to be here because of this president and like he's like i want to be in iowa and it's like all right cool and and it's like i don't want to do the job that i was actually hired to do i want to run for president which you know fair enough in in, in its own way back when i more consistently liked Rand paul uh one of the things that i liked about him uh was that when he was running for president very very badly and and, i met him in iowa he was a complete asshole 2015 he is prickly. Yeah. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm friendly with him. Not, he's got a thin skin. Not a nice uh, guy to me. And, and he's now grandstanding like crazy in the uh, impeachment thing, saying that he's, if any of his Republicans call, uh, any Republican senators uh, votes for calling witnesses, witnesses any yeah. witnesses, then he's just going to, it's all going to be shifty shift on the stand. He's going to make them go to their districts, make them like vote on uh, deposing uh, or, you know, uh, calling uh, Hunter Biden and, and the whole gamut. Like uh, he's, he's, and he's like, hey, I, you know, they'll lose their next election. Talking about his Republican colleagues. But anyways, back when I, I liked Rand Paul more than I do now, um, uh, when he ran for president, he would like he still did his job. Like yeah. he would he was still making like 98 percent or 99 percent of Senate votes. And and like, you know, call me like a stupid old fashioned institutionalist sucker. I like people in Congress who show up for work. Uh, Miriam, are you going to Iowa? I am. I just got my tickets today. Okay, I'll see you there. We're, um, uh, give us a sense of like what, like when you're going there. I mean, I'm trying to figure this out myself. Like what you're going to do because I mean, it's it's obviously a big state. You know, everyone's all over the place. You're falling and running, running around. Michael needs some directions. That's I what I'm hearing right now. <laughs> I'm just like, can you text me where you're going to be? Because I'm very bad at this job. Um, you know, look, a lot of people say, and I think they have a point. First in the nation. 94% white, mm-hmm. not uh, reflective of much of anything. Should we, I mean, remember Donald Trump lost to Ted Cruz in 2016. Should we put any stock in this or are we just like excited about this? Cause it's actually the first 
real contest with a ballot or a caucus in this case that we can actually, you know, we're off to the races now because it's been the slow boil, right? It's the, the, the race starts, you know, the day after Donald Trump is, is inaugurated. Does it matter? Like, like this is the thing that people ask me, like, are you going to, to I would just actually, who fucking cares? Does it really matter? I mean, it seems like sometimes it matters and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, who, yeah. who, who knows? But and that's it, President Mike Huckabee taught us. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, but it like, mattered with President Obama. It mattered a lot. Yeah, I mean, exactly. partly because he could, he showed that he had credibility uh, with the 94% and white, white farmers. And rural, he also came yeah. back from to like 20 points behind. I mean, his, his team identified Iowa as yeah. the thing. If we can do this, we, we're going to do it. And it was a big demonstration project. So I, I think that, that it matters a lot because of the demographics. And to, to, to your point about Obama is that when you have somebody like Bernie Sanders, who is, you know, a, a guy from New York who never lost his accent, but lives in hippie Vermont, appealing to kind of working class farmers is that I thought the most fascinating thing was all the time I, I, I spent traveling around and talking to people that were Sanders supporters. And I mentioned this all the time because I, I, I think people started thinking that this was a, was a myth that these were unicorns, the people that supported Sanders, very full-throatedly supported Sanders, and then went for Trump. And and every time it was the same thing, and I, I, it's boring to repeat this so many times, but it was trade stuff. It was like, oh, Hillary Clinton, you know, uh, said, uh, uh, not NAFTA was the gold standard. What did she say? Uh, TPP no, was the gold, yeah. This was the gold standard, and it was a great trade agreement. And that is the really interesting shift. And we've had a lot of people, and somebody else wrote, uh, us the other day talking about some of the movement amongst economists on the right and people who aren't on the right, like David Otter uh, from MIT. And there's a, you know, there was a, the thing, a, a universal idea that trade was, was not an unalloyed good, but it was just like, you know, 90% good, 10% bad. And those people that lost out won out in some other ways that seems to have shifted in, in, in almost every way. And Donald Trump waging a feckless and stupid trade war which people seem to think is okay now because of this uh, deal that he signed with China the other day. Uh, was it today? Was it yesterday? I can't. The days all blur together. But it, 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 you know, it's not a great improvement, as I think Bernie Sanders was, was, was right to say that it's not uh, much different than one one would expect. But a lot of those tariffs remain in place, and those tariffs, of course, hurt farmers really, really bad. I mean, I went to a soybean farm in Iowa. And this guy was a, like a real full-throated Trump supporter. And I was like, this is going to hurt your pocketbook. And he's like, yeah, but you know, the long-term goal of this is to help me. And so we're going to be, we're going to be good because we're going to get better trade deals with X, Y, and Z. And then we'll sell soybeans to Brazil and blah, blah, blah. And that hasn't worked out. And I just wonder seeing just that constituency of farmers and rural people who are farmer adjacent, <laughs> like farmers in the family and the rest of it, how they will react to the left-wing populist appeal of Bernie, who's better at that than, than Elizabeth Warren is. Because, I mean, he, he has a better shtick on the, in the real kind of rural workforce that I think it's harder for Elizabeth Warren to kind of take that from Bernie, who's been doing it for so long. The most mealy mouth part of every Democratic debate is the part on trade, by far, because they basically agree with Donald Trump, yep. but they have to say that they don't. A couple don't agree with him. I think Pete Buttigieg doesn't legitimately. Pete Buttigieg is still you mean kind the of, CIA agent. Yes, <laughs> he still is, uh, is. Has a little bit of the neoliberal shill uh, in him. Uh, Beto O'Rourke back back when he was still uh, didn't have hair on his face or whatever the hell he's doing now. <laughs> um, but uh, no, they have to say like, oh, um, 
try. I would, you know, Trump's bad because he tweets, uh, but I would kind of do the same thing, but only differently. Um, but it, it gets scrambled in uh, Midwestern or in, in middle of the country politics because very specifically um, there people don't like uh, what the trade wars affects, generally speaking. Right. Uh, so like there has never there hasn't been a polling support in the country as a whole as favorable towards trade as there has for the past 20 years than yeah. right now. Right. And it's like a reaction to Trump, like for the most part, um, because, you know, the economy is still kind of doing OK. Right? It's yeah, been yeah. 10 consecutive years now of growth. Um, but I think just the rhetoric around it and the kind of personalities or whatever, people like trade more. Um, and then in specific communities, but, it you know, it depends on which ones they're really pissed off about the trade war. Uh, but like Democrats don't they haven't arrived at a position. And Joe Biden feels doesn't feel like the confidence of just saying, like, trade's good. What's wrong with you? Which is obviously what he kind of believes. Right. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, clearly. He, but but yeah, like yeah. won't say that because, I mean, yeah. he's, you know, the, the rusty weather vane guy and like doesn't want to doesn't want to get out in front of it. So it's fascinating to see where they will go. I, I think I think we're probably in a period like you have these weird mismatches. Trade is a, hu- a huge example. Foreign policy is another one where. The Washington consensus has a 20 percentage point difference than the country as uh, as a whole. So, like, the, you know, the, the a-holes who are in Washington all kind of agree that trade is more or less good. The post-war World War II order is kind of good. You know, all these alliances and stuff and the, the all kind of good and we should be a bit uh, interventionist. Well, like they wrote on that for a really long time, but you can't have that big of a gap uh, long term in politics. It's going to come back and bite you. And it bit both parties on trade. But then uh, it's funny whether the, is the gap now going to go in this direction where everyone everyone we're going to see who's successful, who's running is going to be like a crazy anti-trade populist when the country as a whole is not. Yeah, I mean, I thought that if you were to say, like, make a prediction again, the mugs game of making political predictions, but that that the kind of Michael Moore ish, you know, that book, he, he did a book in like the mid 90s called Downsize This. And it was oh, yeah. in the Roger and me kind of vein of like oh, the, the jobs are going overseas and et cetera. That that would come back. Um, it doesn't seem to me to be something that's totally crazy. Well, also, but I wait. thought it would be in an economy that was that was you know like an eight percent unemployment. Or I mean, something. just wait till that happens, though. That's the thing. Like, I then this is what I'm most frightened of uh, in America's near future is not any specific action by any specific politician or president or anybody else. Is how are we going to react? We hate each other so much now. How are we going to react when there's actually uh, either a foreign policy serious crisis or especially when the economy goes down, we're going to absolutely be blaming each other like crazy and and embracing, I think, probably uh, pretty crappy pol- uh, policies. Does anything matter anymore? <laughs> Whoa. Wow. I mean, in the sense wow. that, like, you know, we're 3 percent unemployment, you know, full employment, 4 percent unemployment. The president, the, the, the government accountability office today said the president broke the law and he's been impeached. Right. Let's let's keep track of all this stuff here. And people that are affiliated with his administration have gone to jail and justifiably so. Possibly more people. Right? Some rando Russian thug like uh, exposed Devin Nunes and other people as being total <laughs> yeah. liars and like we're freelancing for, you know, Rudy Giuliani to obviously just dig up dirt on political opponents. Yeah. And yeah. the president is also a psychopath. Yeah. And every time he gets in front of a microphone. He debases the political discourse even more, barely speaks the English language, makes things up with like reckless abandon, says people are telling me, my favorite is people are telling me, you know, I'm hearing, I'm hearing, you, you don't, you don't talk to anyone. 
Literally no one's telling you that. And and he is being like debated by his own staffers. You know, Esper's the other day saying, no, we didn't have no, we had no information that embassies were going to be attacked by Soleimani. None of this seems to matter. I remember, you know, politics when, when maybe it didn't matter then too, where the smallest thing, like did Bill Clinton inhale or not, when it was, was like bringing the discourse to a halt. And like, I just like, nobody gives a shit anymore. I mean, think about it. Two weeks ago tonight, we were on the precipice of a hot war with Iran. We were basically in a hot war. Yeah, for about for 48 very, hours. For a hot second, yeah. yeah. Miriam? Does it matter? <laughs> because that means that our jobs basically don't matter because whatever happens, happens. And it's just. I started thinking like there should be a nihilist candidate. <laughs> yes. I think there probably is. Should be. Who is it? Who's the nihilist candidate? <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, asshole. Come on. I was going to say, seriously. I I guess, that's, Fair it's, enough. Fair it's L O L E Arby's, right? Like, yeah, but there's like nothing. Like, I think that there's a point at which, you know, Donald Trump, and I think I've said this before, but like, he destroyed the Oppo research industry, right? There's no, there's, what do you, what can you find on Donald Trump that will actually affect Donald Trump's bottom line when it comes to poll numbers? Because, you know, I just remember that conversation I had with the cab driver who was like, oh man, this guy's cooked after the John McCain comment. And it's just like, no, it doesn't, nothing matters anymore. That's well, like what Trump himself said, right? He could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and, uh, wouldn't change a thing. Which was a great insult to his own supporters and they didn't even realize it. It was like, you guys are such rubes that I could literally commit murder. <laughs> you would still pull the lever for me. Uh, there is an answer to the question of who is the nihilist candidate. Who is that? Well, there's a couple. Uh, okay. Ver- Vermin Supreme. Oh, you love, love Vermin Supreme. Uh, he's the one that wears the rubber boot on his head. Yeah, yeah. and he's yeah. currently running. He's a serial uh, prankster performance artist candidate who's currently running uh, for the Libertarian Party uh, presidential nominee. In fact, won a straw, a straw poll? Yeah, straw poll in uh, New Hampshire uh, primary uh, uh, libertarian, not that they actually have to totally primaries. shocking. By the way, that the guy uh, with the rubber boot on his head got he's got like a beard down to here, <laughs> and uh, he's he, he's every year, every four years, he says he's going to mandate toothbrushing. Yeah, he's mandatory toothbrushing, yeah. and but everyone also gets a free pony. I was at I uh, was with him at a um, New Jersey uh, libertarian state convention, which is like held in the adjunct hall of an Irish bar in mm-hmm. some crap town. Um, in la- last March or so, and he was one of two or three candidates, presidential candidates, who were there. And so he he uh, spent the time uh, reading from his book, um, uh, which like he had it sort of printed out in a loose leaf binder, and um, and he just read an extended like a five to ten minute section about a um a man fantasizing about fucking a horse. Oh, really? Sounds yep, about right. Yep. 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 Uh, so he's, uh, I don't think I'm going to vote. For that, <laughs> I saw Miriam's face. She was like, maybe, maybe. No, I don't think so. I think I've just, you just or, lost my vote. Or the, uh, John McAfee is still running for president. I don't, he's not doing anything really except making really bad videos. Mm-hmm. But in those videos, he's, uh, talking a lot about, um, uh, graphically, um, uh, not just anal sex, but other things that can fit in, in, in certain yeah. cavities. Good. Good. Um, so they're we're having a serious conversation. About uh, you asked <laughs> who's who are the yeah. nihilist candidates. I yeah, mean, I think those a, are just the psychotic candidates. Uh, no, but they're actually that's they're like making performance art out of it. I, I think one of the interesting things about the Democratic uh, race is that there hasn't been a lot of nihilism. I mean, there's populism, sure, uh, and there's the I think the field and the party has been moving in certain directions, um, but like 
the super the the, the rando category. Marianne Williamson just dropped out. Like yeah. she was maybe got to like twelfth place a couple of times, but she was never really a factor. Uh, the only randos left are Andrew Yang, mm-hmm. um, who's got crazy Yang momentum um, because of mm-hmm. Dave Chappelle and stuff. But he's still like pulling what three percent or something, maybe three three and a half. But fifth in fundraising. Uh, like he's got these. There's a thing there, but that thing has a ceiling, and it's sure. not that high. And I, I put him in the same category as Tulsi Gabbard. It's a different person for sure, but like yeah. she has the she has rando energy all written about her. Mm-hmm. And I think Democrats are so focused on no, dude, we really need to win. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's not a lot. There's not a high tolerance for weirdness. Do you think that 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 if if somebody like Joe Biden snags the nomination? Um, and let's say he wins the presidency. I mean, this just play this out. I think that in 2016, had Donald Trump uh, lost that, you know, both the popular vote and the Electoral College, that that probably would have spelled the death knell for the type of populism that he was peddling. I just don't think it would have lasted. I think that after that, it probably wouldn't have gone too far because there's not an intellectual coherence to it. There was not a lot of institutions behind it. You have some things on the on the right, like Claremont Institute and things like that changed. You know, Heritage Foundation, which used to be the sort of, you know, academy for the House Republicans, basically, became very much a, a kind of Trumpy place uh, as opposed to what it was in the past, which is very, very free trade. They would have been very upset about Donald Trump spending twice what Obama spent in the bailouts, bailing out farmers, et cetera. I think that that never would have happened, wouldn't have come to pass, and they'd have stuck to what they were. Right now, we were seeing the the kind of very progressive moment for Democrats. I mean, you had, of course, Bernie before, and everyone was kind of arching an eyebrow in 2016 saying, oh, that's interesting. And then, of course, Trump happens. is a great opportunity. Never let one go to waste. And the, the, the progressive field in the primaries, anyway, is swollen to a point that people have to kind of apologize or be called a CIA agent if they are sort of Hillary Clinton Democrats, they're free traders, or they're just sort of more moderate or mainstream. Is, are, is this what the Democratic Party is for the foreseeable future? Or does a loss in, or a win for Joe Biden mean that that is over and that, that it had its moment and it didn't perform nationally, so therefore it's not going to have legs in the future? Because this is Bernie... Sanders' last hurrah, and I think Bernie is also a very particular character because I don't like Bernie Sanders' policies in any way, but I do find him a compelling political figure. And I think he's very, very good on the debate stage, and he's very, very good on the stump. And that's not, that can't be said for a lot of people that are on the debate stage. I think Elizabeth Warren is good on the debate stage, by the way. She's great. I mean, actually, uh, aside from the unpleasantness, which uh, Miriam and I uh, disagree about, but like, uh, I thought she was the best uh, on on stage uh, by far uh, during the debate. Otherwise, I mean, you're you're, wait, you're you're essentially hoping that Joe Biden doesn't like vomit or just start speaking in tongues, right? I mean, I was like literally like, oh god, he's doing well. It's like no, no, he's saying words in English in the correct order. He can eat his <laughs> boogers on live television and still poll at twenty seven percent. I know I, it doesn't change, does I, it? It, it never... That's why I say nothing matters. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, kind of to answer your your, your question, like. It's striking to me that whatever you could define as the semi-center mm-hmm. lane um, in this race has always been seven, ten percentage points ahead of the progressive lane. So right now it's Biden, Buttigieg, Bloomberg, right? Killer bees, Klobuchar. Um, they're polling at around 45 percent and the progressives around 35 percent, the randos, five, whatever. Uh, but it's always like that. And um, and 
yes, it's sort of economics and like, oh, can you actually pay for it? What's, you know, we have to think about the real world. Um, it's especially now that all the Gen X people have dropped out. I wrote about uh, a piece about this for a reason. Uh, Your a favorite day, thing. Uh, a few days ago. I mean, I, it is my favorite thing. I love the, the Gen Xers, <laughs> but all of them uh, chose and, and all of whom had like at least some uh, unorthodoxies from the progressive left on economics uh, or charter schools or whatever, free trade. Um, none of them emphasized that yeah. when they ran. None of them. They all emphasized varying uh, various flavors of Beto O'Rourke probably more than, than uh, others, but even Kamala Harris of of like woke stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it didn't work. It just super didn't work at all. Um, it wasn't some of them changed on economics and, and traveled in that direction. Start talking about Green New, New Deal and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's it's interesting to me that there's sort of a limited audience ultimately for that. Um, and now they're all gone. There's not a, a possibility. So the center seems to be still bigger uh, than the left in the Democratic race. That could change if Bernie or Elizabeth Warren, you know, suddenly attract people who are worried about the electability question or whatever. They, if you can start picturing either of those people, and I can, I kind of can, even as someone who disagrees with them both uh, about a lot, I can see them both as candidates. They're strong candidates, certainly in a primary election, and, and they both have attributes, which you could see constantly. But I, I, I don't see how when they're both running, how they're going to do better than Joe Biden, unless he's actually not just eating boogers, but like his, his brain's falling out of his head. Miriam, is Matt Welch right about this? I don't know if he's right about it. Boogers this. and brains. Yeah, not the, not the boogers and brains stuff, which is just deranged, but yeah. <laughs> you mean whether, which just part the sort of, the, the, the sort of idea about progressivism in the party as a force. I mean, does it have staying power? And does it have staying power in this election too? I mean, I think that, you know, the Joe Biden thing is to Matt's point, I think that is true, that it doesn't matter, it doesn't seem to matter what he does. He seems to hold pretty steady. At, you know, yeah, well, he has like the name recognition. He has, yeah. of course, the support, you know, of the majority of black voters. Um, I don't know. In this election, let's see what happens in Iowa and then let's see what happens um, down the line. I think in the party, yeah, it, it does have staying power. It feels like more than just this election. Like these candidates seem to me like they're not just, you know, they're not setting the tone of the way that people are talking and especially younger people are talking about things like unionization or what have you like they're also reflecting that moment um it seems like to me you know if you look at it in a historical sense it's really coming out the other side of 2008 and a generation that has to deal with a lot of issues uh in different ways than you know than we had when uh with the things that we were dealing with so i think i think it does have what, a do, you, what, what do you think what, what do you think yeah. what do you think those issues are i mean i have my kind of sense of what they are but those issues that have changed kind of significantly for, for this generation that, that people maybe of our vintage <laughs> don't, didn't deal with in the same way? Um, I think everything from job security to the, you know, college debt was definitely an issue for me and for my generation. But, like, the numbers these days are just absolutely insane. They're astronomical, yeah. Yeah, and just in a way, you know, the, the problems that we had have gotten worse. And then... The, the insecurity wrought by the uh, by the financial collapse, like, you know, I think it just it, it instilled different values in them and their view towards the way those things can be. Fi- the problems can be fixed. I was something I was going to ask you about, too, is that I saw Nancy Pelosi today or yesterday thundering against and about Facebook. Again, I don't know if you saw this. Oh She's it was doing the Facebook thing. And it's it's funny that that a lot of these these issues, particularly, you know, as it pertains to Russia, we had this conversation 
um, a couple of podcasts ago, and I had a, um, a private uh, conversation, brief conversation with Steve Kornacki about it. Um, you know, it strikes me that, like, you know, it, it is funny seeing this 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 woman who's who's of a totally different generation um, at the lecture and talking about people who are from her city, you know, just going crazy. This is today. You could look this up. Um, going crazy about it. And I think a lot of it started for me, I think that was the first time, was the Russia stuff, right? There was that, that Facebook is not necessarily polluting our children's minds, which is usually where it starts, right? You know, MTV is polluting our children's minds. We have to haul people, like Tipper Gore, haul people up in front of congressional committees, and you get Frank Zappa up there. <laughs> now, it started now, it seems to me, with this Facebook Russia stuff. So to kind of go back, a, a slight bit... I, as somebody who's in, kind of an expert on Russia and reported from Russia so much, are we? Am I wrong in thinking that this is vastly overstated? I don't even want to say overstated because it seems to me that this whole Facebook mania, which in, increasingly I see people of, of a younger generation just abandoning. It's like you know people yeah. screaming about VCRs when you know the DVD is around the corner. The Russia stuff is like, oh, they're going to try to influence our election now. And we're getting a little bit of that as we're coming into to, to, to Iowa and New Hampshire. How much of that do you think is just silly, heavy breathing? But I think that the the issue with Facebook, Russia is just a small part of it. And, yeah, people are leaving Facebook. But, you know, WhatsApp is absolutely massive yeah. and also a huge issue when it comes to, you know, passing on um, misinformation and fake news and all that. But it seems to me like they're just... Russian meddling is one part of it, and they have a bigger problem with disinformation. And, you know, what responsibility do they have to stop the spread of fake news? Um, didn't they just say last week or something that if they found a, you know, that a political figure had put up a video with um, or an ad with uh, with some kind of, you know, a lie or an inconsistency that they wouldn't take it down? Like, I think we're just in the stage of trying to figure out the rules of the game and Facebook through the actual Facebook, but also through WhatsApp, through Instagram. Which they you own, know, right? They well, own yeah. everything, yeah. and they yeah. just have massive power and have really been shirking responsibility. And I think a lot of the stuff, I didn't see Pelosi you know, yelling yeah. about it, but I think a lot of the furor is really just trying to get them to set some fucking rules. So you made a point, though, that I'm interested to, when I was saying that Elizabeth Warren, who I think is, has prevaricated uh, more than uh, makes me happy, and you said that's just the nature of politics. Part of that is you're totally Sounds right. It's terrible when you say no, it, but it's, it's true. But it's true, <laughs> though. But it's true. It's I think it's absolutely right. And it's just a matter of like whether you put up with that or you you know keep on fighting against it, and not let it be kind of de rigueur and, and, and political discourse, which it is, of course. If that is the case, as I think that you and I agree on, how does Facebook deal with that? Because politicians do just are just preternatural liars and that's how they get elected. I mean, if there's a lie in, you know, Elizabeth Warren ad, uh, she says something that, well, I don't know who judges well, that. Do, and you... do we want to get into that, that space? No, I think that's a fair question. And obviously like the free speech issues, like, do you, you know, the, the underpinning of that question is like, do you want Facebook deciding what is truth and what is a lie? Yeah, right. Yeah, and what is free the, speech, which the is answer, totally the answer fair. Is no. Yeah. Yes. I, the I answer really, is no. Really don't. However, you know, Elizabeth Warren making a promise to withdraw all combat troops from the Middle East when thinking people know that if she is elected, she'll probably keep some people in, you know, in the Gulf and where have yeah. you. 
Like, is that a lie no, or is no, that not, rhetoric no. that she doesn't live up to? It's too, a well, lie up, yeah, is yeah, Donald yeah. Trump, you it's, know, putting yeah. out an ad saying that 20 trillion Mexicans are at the border um, and looking to take over the country. He hasn't put out that ad, but sure. you know what I'm saying. Like, I. I but then so, it's then it becomes like, you know, is it a lie when Barack Obama says in an ad, which I'm sure that he did, that we defeated special interests by passing Obamacare. Right? Is that well, yeah, I, 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 no, I don't think it is. I think that, I mean, because, because the other thing is, is because the money that was spent on Obamacare from yeah, special interest uh, sure, lobbying sure. was overwhelmingly pro. Yeah. Obamacare, I mean, I mean right? of course the, this is, uh, there's uh, all this legal stuff and you can get uh, uh, Ken White uh, Pope had to come on and, and, and talk about uh, this is that, you know, one has to knowingly, be spreading a lie, knowing that you're 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 lying. And and the interesting thing about Donald Trump, of course, people who create those ads are not Donald Trump himself. But I'm sure he believes the stuff that he says because he's that stupid. I, I mean, that's a, an, an interesting thing. Is like and also, no, no, he also believes doesn't it. Care doesn't care. Uh, he doesn't care yeah. either. No, people no, that much. But yeah, I, I just don't. I don't want. I don't think that political ads have this potency. I think there's a sense the the way that Facebook has talked about, it, and it's absolutely not a partisan issue. It's a bipartisan issue. I mean, Josh Howley is making names. He's, he's, you know, the fucking, uh, the, the, the Senator from, from Claremont basically at this point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. Um, like he's the, the new breed of guy every day he wakes up and, and uh, comes up with something new to say about what social media should do. So they're not censoring conservative views and all this kind of crap. Um, it's th- there are two, you see a gap. There's a couple of polls that came out in the last, uh, two weeks about what are the most trusted brands in mm. the country. It's Amazon. <laughs> is it really Google? Like it's it's actually at least and Apple I think still up there too. So it's hey, hey, hey Matt, yeah, nothing matters. <laughs> just just want to point like, that out. The the political class is very exercised about social media because social media has a lot of power and you know it throws crap at your face and it's unpleasant when it hits. Um, but I don't know that there's a groundswell of anti Amazon animus out there in the world. Kind of isn't probably yeah yeah because I think, it yeah. helps you the, get the, stuff the, exactly and i think the people that pay attention to sort of political discourse in this way do pay attention to things like cable news i mean we, uh miriam you wrote uh something the other day with uh my friend and comrade uh, rosie gray who mm-hmm. about um iran uh, the iran issue and donald trump and the trump administration listening to fox news in this actually being like I think in this case a, a positive thing of this guy not going off half cocked and, and and bombing Tehran back into the seventh century, and it's because there were people like Tucker Carlson, I mean, on Fox News that were talking to him, and I so I I could care less about Facebook guy, and I thought the piece that you guys wrote was 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 interesting and smart in the sense that you know like oh yeah Donald Trump just gets all his stuff. From uh, Steve Ducey and Fox and Friends. Oh yeah, no, that's that's terrifying. And the reason that that you had a sort of you know hawkish person in there with uh, 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 John Bolton was because he was on Fox News, not because Donald Trump knew anything about what he believed uh, as a, when it comes to foreign policy. So when when you guys wrote that piece, I mean, it, it, were you getting stuff from the White House, or is that just noticing that Donald Trump, the v- sort of vicissitudes of Donald Trump, are following what you're seeing on Fox News? Yeah, I was just watching a lot of Fox News because if you remember, you like, poor bastard. I know, but there was like there was an information vacuum, right? Like the night that Iran retaliated um, and lobbed those missiles or rockets. I can't missiles, even yeah. remember anymore. Someone wrote to us and said, uh, "Rockets you can't steer." 
right. after, exactly. after they fly. Missiles. Yeah. So had lobbed um, the missiles into Iraq, and, you know, what time was it here? It was like 7 or 8 p.m. Yeah. or something. Yeah. And, you know, everybody was freaking out, and you kind of expect the president to address the nation and explain what's happening, but he wasn't. So I think I saw that it was like one of his highest-rated shows ever. Yeah. But basically you had, um, you know, Tucker, but more importantly, I think, um, in the grand scheme of things, not in the Iran case, you're right to highlight Tucker Carlson, um, but it's Sean Hannity who— just laid out the president's thinking and it was, you know, and then also had a parade of senators um, saying the same thing from like Ted Cruz to Marco Rubio. I mean, just the cast of characters that you would expect. Yeah. And yeah, they were being very bellicose at times and, you know, doing the whole thing like this aggression shall not stand kind of um, <laughs> rhetoric. But with Hannity, with Tucker Carlson more explicitly, like there was this undertow of like, oh, we don't really actually want to we don't want to go to war. And, um, you know, so we just ended up writing about that. I mean, and then Rosie got a source, you know, saying that, uh, saying that, um, that that was that, yeah, that Trump had, you know, been influenced by watching, uh, Tucker. Can we talk about that just briefly? Is that is, what is it like being a political reporter in Trump land when everybody is fake news with the exception of Fox and Breitbart and everything? And you're trying to write a story like this, and, you know, Rosie has a source or cultivates a source um, that will talk to her. And, you know, typically you have somebody like Steve Bannon, who in Michael Wolf's book brought Michael Wolf into the White House like on the first day and saw Michael Wolf as an empty suit who's a complete fucking idiot, which is all of which is true. <laughs> and that he could basically write Michael Wolf's book where Steve Bannon looks great. Those are rare, right, where people are really manipulating you and you have to be really stupid to not see it as Michael Wolf is incredibly stupid. When you're trying to report something like this out and you work for BuzzFeed and it's we're so far beyond this initial thing when Ben Smith came, who's been a guest on the show, where, oh, BuzzFeed talking about cat videos. And I said, like, no, 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 BuzzFeed is a political force. It is a respectable publication. It has great reporters working for it. They break stories. How do you actually break through and get those people to talk to you? Because it's next. Everybody I talk to is like, I can't get anyone in the White House to fucking talk to me. And they must think that you're fake news and a complete, you know, you know, commie or something. Um, you know, for for me, it's it's it is really hard and particularly like, you know, my beat is the Trump campaign. Um, and, um, you know, it was really hard. Um, but I think it's just by kind of doing work that, like you said, it's kind of out there is important. Like, I don't need them to talk to me because they like me. I'm not going to charm them. Yeah. They're yeah. not going to think that I'm, you know, they do have a I'm with you or against you kind of mentality. Like they're not going to think that I'm going to be a stenographer. But if you put out work that's important enough and is like setting agendas and getting the right people talking. Like Maggie Haberman gets a lot of Yeah, Maggie time. can do, yeah. you know, exactly. Like, so, you know, I just kind of try it that way. And so when you go to Iowa, are you, I mean, you're obviously following the Trump campaign. Yep. What, what are you doing when you're in Iowa? What's the What's the goal when you get there? Um, that's a good question, considering <laughs> I just decided today that I was going. Because uh, what I'm hoping is that you'd tell me and I just rip you off. Because <laughs> well, I don't know either. Look, I, I mean, think... it's a competitive yeah, Republican competitive, yeah, uh, yeah. caucus. I th no, I, I mean, I think, you know, the Trump campaign, Trump himself, the Trump family, all of them, like, they love to troll. They really get off on it. Um, so I think it's going to be just like a massive trollathon. And uh, I'm going to But as somebody who's been, tro been trolled by the Kremlin, um, which you have been... Um, do you get any of that from the from the the, the Trump campaign, Trump, the Trump family? I mean, I know 
the boys, the clever, the two clever boys, uh, like to troll people on Twitter who report things that they don't like. No, I mean the like the the no they no I don't get trolled. Like last week, I had this story that uh with Ruby Kramer that um Trump was finally turning his attention to Bernie. Also a good reporter, by the way. Yeah, great yeah. reporter. And like the Trump people made such a big show of it. Like Brad Pascal was like. Bernie's a joke and so is this story and like the spokesman for the campaign is like this is ridiculous and so then you know that like the story they're is reading. confirmed. Yeah. Well they're reading and yeah. they're confirming the story because why else would they like have a link you know. Yeah yeah. Um. So no but they haven't been you know knock on wood they haven't been cruel. Do you have a sense of who they would like to compete against? Uh, my sense is Bernie. There was a story in the Daily Beast actually um, late last year that argued otherwise that Trump actually feels like Fighting against socialism would be um, more difficult than, you know, they might have thought. But, um, no, I, I actually think that he probably would want Bernie to be the nominee. Yeah. Well, he's a socialist in some ways, isn't he? I mean, there's... there's Trump? Yeah, in yeah. some ways, right? I mean, in the, in the, I mean, I interviewed Bernie Sanders and I said, uh, I, I remember saying to him that, like, guys, you know, singing out of your hymn book. And he's like, yes, but he's a liar. And that was <laughs> it. And I was like, okay. Because, you know, on, on, on trade and, you know, Bernie's kind of previous position on immigration. I mean, Trump is obviously, um, you know, I don't even know how to describe it. He's hideous and horrible and gross about it. But, you know, ultimately at the end of the line, he's saying, wants to say this is there. Well, there's two things. I mean, he adds the you're violent rapists and it's going to create crime. But in somewhere in there, it's, it's going to depress middle, uh, middle class wages. And that was fairly similar to, to Bernie, too. And, you know, Bernie acknowledged that in some ways. But so, yeah, I think it's probably tough in some ways to run against somebody who has a lot, you know, not a lot, but some similar policies to you because populism is populism. And depending it's, on it's interesting to note uh, how Bernie has changed his emphases on immigration, Yeah, I think, in response to both Trump's awful. Oh, he lies and said it was 250 years ago, or, you know, a long time ago that I said it. it's like it's not. He said things no, he fairly said recently the, about it, yeah. Uh, the 2016 campaign, the, the Koch brothers yeah. plot. Um, but he's immigration sh- is a code, brothers. Plot. He's, uh, I mean, the the idea of having a lot more legal immigration. Yeah, uh, that that's what the the direct quote was. But like, um, he's changed his emphasis a lot and, and been a lot more welcoming since. I think in response to Trump, but also where the Democratic Party has gone, which is in in a uh, in a different place. But Bernie Sanders is doing really well among Latinos. I mean, this is part mm-hmm. of the secret of his success right now. Like the this makes the you know, the the hashtag debates so white thing a little bit difficult is that Joe Biden's getting black support and Bernie Sanders is getting Latino support. The the I mean, there's three of the six people on stage would be the oldest president ever sworn in. Mm-hmm. And Michael Bloomberg would also if he and he's in fifth place would how, be the how old, is, how old is Bloomberg? 77 or 76. 77? Yeah. 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 Seventh richest person on the planet. Is he? Is that right? Yeah. I mean, he was listed as such. Eighth, you're yeah. saying okay, he's the wait. he's the top shittiest Democratic candidate too, which is which is a tough uh, tough competition considering this. I mean, a like of real, a real lemons out there. If it all, I I I don't want this to happen because I have actual animus towards Michael Bloomberg, even though I might agree with some of his positions more than I do with Elizabeth Warren. But I I dislike him. But if there's ever a point when Bloomberg is in the race and Elizabeth Warren isn't, then this whole uh, uh, he said he said she said argument is going to look really bad in retrospect because Bloomberg, by all accounts, is a total like uh, madman type guy when it comes to talking about the ladies in the workplace and, and elsewhere. Like there's been a yeah. series of reports that are not flattering 
for a man of any age, let alone his. And like, yeah, whatever. I'll throw a hundred million dollars at the problem, and I'll pull it five percent. Uh, Miriam, as you know, somebody who's as the resident woman, go no, ahead. as the only <laughs> as the only woman in the room. Um, what do you make of that? Um, the, the sort of it kind of seemed to have died. Um, it came up pretty like a rocket. Was the was the um, stuff about Joe Biden? And I remember during the Me Too stuff, people telling me, like people I trusted, telling me that. There's going to probably be a story about Joe Biden. I don't know if anybody else heard that here, but these were from yeah. like, like like legitimate journalists, a lot who of were, hair sniffing, but were not happen. like opinion journalists. They were at newspapers and things that we had people looking into that, um, and nothing came of that beyond a series of photos and clips of him just being weird. I don't even, <laughs> I don't even know if it's gross. It's just weird. I just didn't understand it really, um, and it didn't strike me that it was sexual. Just like kind of odd that somebody would ever do something like that but it's like that's the whole thing it doesn't have to be sexual it's disrespectful well disrespectful know? for sure but i think that would be like if, if if that trespasses on the me too thing the thing that makes me um doubt that it does in this case is that nobody's come forward and actually said that real i mean has that must be somebody has right it, no it, like, maybe somebody well, there, was there was a lot was... of momentum and then it stopped there was that woman lucy flores who was in that's, I that's think, right in Nevada. that's what i'm thinking about yeah yeah that's right that's mm-hmm. right yeah yeah um, not sense really but yeah, not a, not a ground. So I thought there would be more than that. But do you think that's that's an issue at this point? I mean, if 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 Joe Biden, you know, again, never make predictions. If he does snag the nomination, I mean, he's running against Donald Trump. I mean, who is the worst of the worst when it comes to these things? I, that just kind of disappears, doesn't it? Well, and like what you know, I've seen going around over the past few days as the Warren and um, Bernie fight has spiraled is that quote from. Biden, like saying publicly that, uh, you know, Hillary faced a whole host of issues because she she's a woman. But I won't have that problem. You know, <laughs> like he said that publicly. When was I didn't see that. It was God, not that long to, ago. I have to get my I've been under a rock for a few weeks. Did you hear this, Matt? No, but like it's so believable. Oh, I mean, I, like, there's not yeah. a part of me that doesn't believe that. <laughs> but in terms of, you know, would it be bad? Like. It's it's a hard hypothetical to kind of analyze, but but if you um, see those two guys running against each other, how does that does that sort of sit in an uncomfortable way? Because they're both are they both gross men in a way? I mean, Donald Trump we know for a fact is not just sniffing people's hair. That's it's, it's slightly different with him. I mean, look, sexism like runs on a spectrum, right? Um, I don't think that you know. It's probably not like a sign of huge progress if somebody who isn't like super feminist is uh, is in in the you know isn't super feminist is in the White House. But um, you know if if there were yeah I don't know I think it's a hard hypothetical to kind of get. But yeah it's you know it's I think it's it's twenty twenty and like it's it's this is a hard statement to make as a political reporter that really I'm sitting here and like my stance my ideology is hating everybody that's the right one to have it keeps me safe right but also as a feminist i do want to see a woman eventually sometime soon in my lifetime please for god's sakes um in you know in the white house so that's kind of my stance but again it's hard because i don't tie that to a specific candidate so the key is that joe biden wins the nomination appoints a woman and he keels over. I mean, he's not. He's not long. He's the. No. You oh, think he survives so the trial? No, I don't want to talk about that. That's sad. He looks old. It's, it's too sad. It's totally true, Miriam. I'm sorry, but you have to admit that's true. I don't want <laughs> to think about it. I don't want it to happen. I don't wish that. I'm just like you know, if I'm a betting man, I'm like, ooh, that's not very good. 
and then we're in Veep. Like that's yes, not the way it should exactly. happen. Well, it, Veep is very funny. So, <laughs> I, well, that was actually the other thing that I, I the reason that I hope Bernie gets the nomination for selfish reasons is this: um, I, it would be the comedy election because the thing about it oh is that God. the one thing that I say that is positive about Donald Trump, I have a long track record in the show of saying nothing positive about him, except for the fact that I've been to a number of Trump rallies and the man is kind of funny and he gets big laughs and he, he does bits and, you know, he hits his jokes well. And, you know, there are certain people that don't want to acknowledge that he makes people laugh, but he does. What's funny though. I've been to a bunch too. They're not, he's not funny. he's, He's pretty funny. He's fine. He, he, I mean, look, I, I, for a presidential candidate, I mean, good God. I mean, him. He's a bully. Well, he's a bully, yeah. too. You bully can and, that's what, and that's what gets laughs. I don't think no, it's No, no, I think, I no, think but like bull, bullying can be funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like. It can, you, of course it can yeah, be no, funny. No, I don't think so. Of course it can be funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, look. It's mean. The, the, it is mean. It is mean, mean of course. Can of be course. funny. Yeah. It's not saying that. It's not about agreeing. It's like, no, no, it should be funny. Exactly. And like, I mean, I think that like, what is the line that you remember from any of those debates? You'd be in jail. I mean, it was a fast, well-delivered line. Wait, I don't remember that. What was that? The the Donald Trump when he said to Hillary Clinton. Oh, yeah. yeah, He's like, you'd be in jail. He was like lurking behind her. He delivered it. I mean, it is just the theater of it. it. He knows how to do it. And that's obviously from being on TV as much as he's been on TV as the star of his own show. He knows how to deliver that stuff. And, and, and on the other end of that, I think Bernie is the only person on that stage that is funny. And he was pretty funny. Like that, the, the Kim Jong-un thing, when Joe Biden was yeah. like, he called me and he's like, other than that, you don't like him. And it was like, a, he had like, he delivered it in a he funny way. Timing, yeah. and you he's don't got think some Amy Klobuchar is funny with her like Midwest dad jokes? No. 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 It's so painful. <laughs> no. It's so painful. And I was just like, it'd be funny if she just threw a binder at me and like, I just got it over. <laughs> no, like she, he's the funniest guy on that stage. And if it was like Trump, I just want to see those debates Yang, for selfish reasons. Yang can be funny. Yang can be funny. But like in a robot way. Yeah. Like yeah. in a like nerd funny way. Yeah. In like a Klobuchar funny way. Like I'm doing jokes, but they're just <laughs> not landing. Yeah. So anyway, okay. So we got to finish up here, Matt. Um, we got a lot of emails. Um, a lot of which I've sent to you. Yes, I'm responding. You're responding. Yeah. Any of it you want to address now? None, none of them are in front of me, so it's kind oh, of You don't remember? <laughs> All, All right, right, fine. There was none explicitly. There was one where somebody said, I want to hug Matt Welch. You don't remember that? I mean, that's so personal. Oh, my God. Not, I'm not giving the person's name. <laughs> People, there's listeners here Yeah, who... A married couple that met yes. in the comments section at yeah. Reason for one of our daily live threads about the independence. Okay, so this is wow. why I was asking this question. Now. <laughs> it's like, what? My God, how is this even possible? So the best television show that ever existed that Anthony Fisher worked on uh, and Michael Moynihan came on at least once. We asked like yeah, 75,000 times. <laughs> yeah, maybe a couple um, times. But uh, called the independence of Fox Business, would be me and Kennedy and Camille. and um, and so uh, at reason every day, I would say uh, tonight on, you know, the independence, it's going to be John Bolton's mustache and, you know, Ron Paul and whoever else. It was a weird show. Great a lot show. Of, a lot of John Bolton. Yeah. So much John Bolton. And it was you guys yelling at him. That's. To be fair. One of my favorite ones. Yelling about, uh, arguing over George Orwell's quote about uh, pacifism being and objectively uh, pro Talking with Penn Jillette about Frank Zappa on a business network. That was also <laughs> yeah. really good. Uh, we, had, we had some high moments. Um uh, uh, had Michael Weiss in studio 
um, and uh, talking about Ukraine, and then he walked out, and then what happened? Like the the, the war broke. The tanks out. started rolling. The tanks in. started rolling, yeah. and so like someone had to run out, no, and like pull him back in and be the great light. Because anyway. we used to do four shows in two days. Four shows in two days. Yeah. So every day I would put on reason, uh, like, hey, this is who's on, and then in the comment section would be the people who would watch it, and most of the time they would spend. Talking about how really poorly dressed I was, uh, which, by the way, is absolutely true. <laughs> totally true. And, and Miriam, I want now. you to know because you don't know Matt well. This is not representative. This is normal. This is fine. It's okay. Yeah, but it's usually not. Yeah, um, most, fine. most of the time it's not. Like a fat pink tie. It's kind of better on TV now than it used to be. <laughs> partly because of the swope. Partly because of the commentators. One of them, what was his name? Well, Fish. Fist of Etiquette. Fist, there, there's Fist of Etiquette, but there's another guy, and I'm blanking on it. I'm really sorry about that. I believe you know that. Well, there, there, was, there, there, was, there was a, you know, we used to do a two minutes hate uh, segment where we would read all the hate, where Andrew Heaton would read all the hate mail. And oh. uh, th- I, there's one that really sticks out in my mind about your uh, attire, which was uh, Matt Welch went to Eastern Europe right around the time the Berlin Wall fell. Apparently, that's when he got his entire tie collection as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, you look like Marcus Wolf. <laughs> Hashtag true. Uh, Why do you have Eric Honecker on the show? Uh, but there was one of the guys uh, sat there and like would actually give me a d- every night. There would be like a five paragraph breakdown of the sartorial choices on the show. It wasn't just about me. It was it was basically about why Camille is the best dressed <laughs> motherfucker in the world, yeah. and and Matt Welch he is, is well dressed. About and of course, the worst. But sitting that- next to you. It was it was really something. But else. that guy was a very funny writer too. A super funny yeah. writer, and I, again, I'm I'm sorry. I'm like, so anyways, yeah, these listeners who are Patreon uh, uh, subscribers and supporters, and thank you for all of that uh, so much. And people have been writing these lovely things that we've been referring to. Um, they sh- Phoenix and mentioned that they they met in the comment section of the Independence and they got at, married and got married like to to each other. Yeah, and everything. Yeah, uh, and I can't. Uh, <laughs> I think they just specify to each other. Yeah, uh, I can't. It like the, the that I, I read that last night at like one fifteen uh, after I sent it to you at like one ten while I was drinking by myself. Uh, I <laughs> I'd been drinking with other people, and I uh, I you know I don't want to say that I teared up, but it was really nice. Kind of right? teared up. It was kinda really nice. Up. It was uh, it was gorgeous. Thank you. And thank you also to dude uh who I haven't emailed back yet uh who says that uh if we then the three of us at the very least and probably the four of us are going to be in Charlotte for the which convention is that one? That's the That's Republican, Republican convention. Um thinking about doing live shows there and he said that he would get his entire what battalion platoon something? Yes. Yeah, said but he would bring them march, all down. March them down. He said and, march them all down, yeah. which was slightly terrifying. And also like force them to watch us so they'll yeah. be like <laughs> against yeah. their will exactly. watching a bunch so of So we will asses. literally all get shot yeah. at the end of it. That's Five fine. big and, aggro, like um, 24-year-olds. But thank you for that, too. That, that was awesome. – well, I would just say uh, the woman was, was named Kara. Thank you, um, And uh, she said that uh, uh, my husband and I met in those discussions and couldn't be happier after two and a half years of marriage. Congratulations, Kara. Um Give Matt a, a, giving Matt a hug is quite literally on my list of life goals. He's the best. I did respond to her and say hugging Matt Welch is vastly overrated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I know that because I've hugged him because his wife tells me all the time. Yeah. Um, and then she uh, uh, thanked uh, us, uh, me, and for for the conversation we had about um, child rearing, uh, schools, teachers, etc. On the Patreon uh, uh, broadcast that was a couple what. Three or four days ago? Yeah, yeah, something like that. So if you subscribe to the Patreon at the $10 level, you will help us pay off all of our debts uh, to the studio over four years <laughs> and, um, yeah. and, and support us. Uh, but that was uh, – and then the last one I'll say is uh, somebody who 
sent me an email tonight, and it's it's the top uh, of the list here, who was effusive about the fact that we talked about the Pixies. This is amazing. Like we get a bunch, like the Pixies, a ton of Pixie stuff. This was Jennifer who started her 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 um, message with "dude." Period. <laughs> the period after dude, Jennifer. No, knows how to get. I just listened to the most Patreon dispatch, uh, the, the most recent Patreon dispatch, and it was amazing. All capital letters, by the way. I love it when the things I love intersect. I experienced actual goosebumps bumps while Moynihan recounted his Pixies concert story, as I had a very similar experience in November of 1991, and that was the Trump Lamont tour. And she goes on, and I think we'll dis- discuss this probably on Patreon, and I'm going to send her a message back. But Jennifer, thank you for that. And then at the end of it, in capital letters again, she keeps on falling on that caps lock key. Please, <laughs> how many of these do we have, Matt? Please come to Houston. God, what, what the, the hell? fuck is Houston. up with Houston? I think maybe because like 11 million people live there now. Fourth, fourth biggest uh, metro area in the United States. Crazy. Fuck, we got to go to Houston, man. You, I don't know. Have you been in Houston? Don't. This, she sent a nice <laughs> message. I know. I know. Why did I make me get Jeff hot. Garland and go, what? That's Su- ridiculous. Super hot. Uh, some idiot? No? We're going to. Well, I tweeted about one piece. You can go look at my Twitter feed. It's from the LA Times, and it was somebody that uh, that Matt lost out to. And, and, and do, 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 we yeah, don't yeah, describe yeah, her that way. I know. I say it just. Am I allowed to say that at all? I can it's cut funny. it. It's fine. No, it's funny. All right. Well, we just cut something that was great information. If you subscribe to the Patreon, I'll tell you. <laughs> all right. All right, I think we've been going on for way too long now. Okay. And yeah. Miriam Elder, comrade, BuzzFeed, has been very patient. Anything you want to plug? How do we follow you on Twitter? Oh, it's at Miriam Elder. Look at that. Please only be nice if you follow me. Our, I swear to God, if you are, nice. are being to Miriam Elder, I will kick your ass. Thank you. I will go to Houston because <laughs> you're all from Houston and punch you in the street. Be nice to Miriam Elder. She's an incredible reporter. You can see her stuff on BuzzFeed. Her stuff in the past uh, at Gu- The Guardian you should look up to. Very enlightening on Russia. Um, a great journalist and we appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll be back uh, next week and probably a Patreon in the meantime. We'll see. Okay. Bye. 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 We know of new methods of attack. Broken heart.